This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. Great to have you back for another episode. We've got a fantastic show coming up for you today with tips and tricks uh, on hunting on public lands. Doesn't matter where you're from, you're from Victoria, you're from New South Wales, Northern Territory or other states where they have public land hunting. I'm hoping you're going to get something out of this show today for the beginner to the intermediate. Hey, even if you're an advanced hunter, I'm hoping you'll be able to get something out of this too. Now, there's going to be a lot of different tips and tricks on this show. Um, we'll, actually, we'll get into that in just a few moments. What I want to do first is if you want to support me on Patreon, I'd really do appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash AHP. It keeps the show going. So again, thank you to all the people that continue to support me there. I really do appreciate it. And it basically brings these podcasts to you and I couldn't do it without you guys so thank you very much if you want to email me for any reason you can email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can see the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au to check out all the podcasts people often ask me as I say in every show where do I listen to the show you can listen to it on iTunes Apple Podcasts, you can listen on the Podbean application, you can go to the website and listen to it as well, and even we've got it on YouTube as well, so if you can't find access to it or it's too difficult, just jump on YouTube and just type in Australian Hunting Podcast uh, and it will come up for you. If you could leave me and rate five stars and leave me a comment on iTunes, I'd really appreciate that too. Um, we're almost up to about 300, I think 300 ratings of five stars, which is absolutely fantastic. So thank you to everyone uh, that's left me a kind comment uh, on iTunes. Again, don't just rate it too. I'd love to hear what you like about the show. I'd love to hear some of the favorite podcasts that we've done and uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. So thanks very much for that. And of course, we're also on all social medias, including Instagram at Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, the same for Facebook and AH Podcast on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter that much, to be brutally honest. I don't really like looking at it. I just post the show on there, but mainly uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So if you want to check us out there, like it, I'd really appreciate it. So getting into the crux of this podcast, I'm going to let you guys know how it's going to work. I've actually got six interviews coming up over this long podcast. I've got Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. Uh, I've got a friend of mine, Arthur. I've got Josh. I've got Steve Robinson from Bold Action Productions. I've got Muzz and I've got Leif, all dropping, I think, some absolutely fantastic knowledge on to make you a better hunter when it comes to hunting on public land. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a couple of things first, then I'll get into an interview, then I'll come back with some more stuff from me, then another interview, and we'll just continue through that uh, until we get through all the interviews. And I'm hoping there's going to be something that you're going to be able to learn from this. And one thing I did really enjoy was most people, there was a, a crossover on a couple of things, but a lot of the people here had really, really diverse and different opinions, which is absolutely fantastic. Some people messaged me and said, oh, you got to get this person with 500,000 subscribers on Instagram. This is not the podcast that I want to be doing that sort of thing. And the reason is, is because just like me, most people listening to the show are just average hunters, just like me. And they want to hear from people that have been out in the field and have actually come successful by putting the time in to be out in the field. So that's the reason I chose these people. And ultimately, I think they're going to bring you the best information. There's no point hearing from some celebrity hunter that you're not going to be able to relate to. 
And I think ultimately these guys that I've got on board and the information you're going to hear, you're just going to be blown away by and hopefully it gives you some information to get you out in the field to become more successful. Now, it's not just going to be about hunting. It's going to be about gear. It's going to be about looking after yourself. Uh, my friend Arthur, who's coming on the show, talks about the differences between himself hunting as opposed to when he takes his son. And I know a lot of people listening to the show are family men or family women. They've got kids. They want to take their kids out in the field. So he gives his perspective of how he would hunt differently when he's on his own versus when he's hunting with his kid. As we know, some kids don't have you know, the patience to sit somewhere for two or three hours at a time sometimes. And and, you know, how to deal with that and how people hunt differently. I think it's going to be a fantastic show. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. So without further ado, I think we should get into it straight away. So first thing for state forest or public land hunting is so I'm going to assume most people that are listening to this show have some form of gun license or being able to hunt with a bow uh, and they've also joined their local game club in being able to get the license so you can actually hunt on public land so whether that's the dpi in new south wales or the game authority in, in victoria for an example make sure and i want to stress this you legally are able to hunt in the areas that you're actually hunting in so if you're hunting on public land make sure you have all your permits if that's what you need to do especially in new south wales we do have the permit booking system but the message i'm trying to get across here is please make sure you're legal when hunting in these areas same goes for private property make sure you do have the approvals from the farmer uh, to be able to hunt in those areas so i'm going to assume that people listening to this show have all those things and they're ready to go in you know, wanting to be successful in hunting on public land. Now, my second tip, well, not really a tip, but just getting into the show would be join a hunting club for support. If you're a person that doesn't have any friends that are in hunting and shooting, you're not sure what to do or where to start. You know, things can get pretty hairy pretty quick when you're actually hunting on public land. You can hurt yourself. Uh, we've got snakes. You can, you know, fall over. Something happens. So I think it's important, if you really haven't done this before, is to join a hunting club. Get as much advice as you possibly can and join one of your local hunting clubs. You know, again, there's plenty out there. You can ring up the DPI uh, in your specific state or game authority uh, that allows you to hunt on public land. And some of those, they'll tell you some of the organisations that may be in your area. Of course, always Google is your best friend in being able to find out what hunting clubs are in your area. And especially, too, some of them do have organised club hunts as well. And these would be a wealth of knowledge for people that are wanting to get into hunting whether it's private whether it's public just in general if you don't have any friends again my piece second piece of advice would be make sure you join a hunting club so you can get support from people that are going to be more experienced than you my third piece of information here would be just for safety reasons when you initially start hunting if you do join a hunting club and you make some friends is you know don't hunt on your own initially again you still can't doesn't mean you can't if you're properly prepared but again 
I just think ultimately, maybe for your first couple of tries, you know, being able to go out for safety reasons with your friends, very, very important. We don't want to see people come back and their family members miss them. They end up dead somewhere in a state forest. It's not what we want. So go with friends for safety reasons because it's just going to be better for you. And you're going to be able to come back at the end of the day and have a chat to someone over you know a bit camaraderie and how to go for the day did you actually see any animals did you see any deer did you see any pigs goats rabbits whatever it may be you can actually sit there and you'll probably have a better time i think when you're actually hunting with friends most people do go and hunt with friends um, again you don't have to i know there's a lot of hunters out there that just they want to go on their own they love the tranquility and serenity of being out there on their own but these are probably experienced people that do have a bit of experience under their belt and can handle that type of situation so again hunting with friends for safety reasons and when you come back at the camp you can have good camaraderie and talk about the stories of the day so that's definitely uh, one of the pieces of information going on for number four too is just ask for advice talk to people um, go to your hunting clubs talk to people that are more experienced than you because the more information you get from them uh, the more experience you're definitely going to have when you're out in the field and I guess number five as well is ring your hunting regulator. Sometimes, especially here, I know in New South Wales, if you ring the hunting regulator, if you're not sure where to hunt, you want to target certain types of species, they do have game reports which you can actually get your hands on. Uh, and they'll tell you in a certain area if you have deer, pigs, goats, rabbits, foxes. So you're not just going to be walking blind into a state forest uh, to find out what types of game are in there. You'll be able to pinpoint maybe certain areas in the forest, but you're going to know roughly what sort of games you can hopefully encounter uh, in a said forest and um, I'm not sure in each specific state whether they have that opportunity but you're not going to know until you call your hunting regulator you know to ask for information sometimes some guys there some of the compliance people they may know certain areas that you're going to be able to go to that might hold deer and at least give you a starting point when actually going to a forest that's the most important thing there's no point going if you're hunting goats or pigs or foxes foxes can be pretty much found anywhere but if you're going to hunt deer there's no point going to a forest or to an area that's not going to hold deer it's not going to hold goats or pigs so ultimately you need to be in an area where it's going to hold the animals and the quarry that you're after so yeah call the hunting regulator uh, for advice on game in certain places that you're going and that and again talk to other hunters talk to people on facebook facebook sometimes not the best way because people you know not really keen on giving some of their public areas where they've been successful on game um, and sometimes some may even go out of their way not to tell you or to give you a bum steer to get you to go somewhere else because sometimes people do that guys that's just the reality of hunting so again talk to your hunting regulator get as much information as possible and you know sometimes that can be extremely helpful in getting you out there hunting for the specific game and quarry that you want to hunt so before we get into our into our first interview with Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. He's going to give his uh, expert tips from being a person that's hunted fairly significantly on public land. I'm going to give you a few tips first. So the first couple of tips I just read there were just basic tips in being able to get out in the field, make sure you're licensed up, join your local hunting clubs, go with friends, ask for advice, ring your hunting regulator uh, to be in the right place at the right time. So I'm going to give my couple of first tips first. We're going to talk about equipment later on. We're going to talk about safety we're going to talk about being at camp having the right gear there's heaps of information to come up so don't go anywhere so first off my tips actually would be scouting you need to get out there in the right spot you need to put the time in actually when you're out in the field so i find the best time 
obviously partly is winter, early winter when it's a bit wet on the ground. Now, if you're not, if you're going for deer, for an example, and you're not seeing prints on the ground, um, it doesn't mean there's no deer there. But again, it, sometimes the properties that I've been to, and whether it's private property or whether it's public land, if you're not seeing those signs, you're not seeing scat on the ground, you're not seeing hoof prints. I've never really had any, any success in any of those places where I haven't been seeing those particular items, scat, deer prints. Have a look on the grounds. Have a look in some of the near the watering holes on the roads where there, there's dirt. Are you seeing any footprints? And if your chances are, if you're not seeing a lot of this stuff, again, it doesn't mean there's no deer there, but how many deer are actually in those particular areas? Something very, very important to look at. So scouting, being out there, looking. Uh, another tip is when you, if you do go to a state forest and you do have a lot of friends or a public land hunting area, depends on where you're from, is go with a big group of people. Now, the reason I say that is because I noticed when we went out sometime probably last year, we had a quite a large group of people. Uh, when you're actually out in the field, you go to different areas. A lot of us actually hunt on our own because we don't want to hunt together. Some guys do hunt together and walk together, but some of us went to the north side, some went to the south side, east side and west side. And what we actually did at the end of the day was actually come back and say, well, what did you see out in the field? Did you actually see anything? Did you see anything driving back to camp when it got dark after you finished hunting for the day? Did you see any animals crossing the road? Did you see any signs of animals? And when you all get back, you can actually collate that information. And on this specific trip that we went on some of the guys were on certain parts of public land gun mate didn't see a single thing and then some of us were on different sides of say the south side of a forest we're going yeah well i saw a amount of deer i i bumped some deer down in the middle of this little area uh, along a creek so it really really just depends and it's good when you go over a lot of people because you can actually cover a lot of that area instead of actually having to do it yourself and i think ultimately when you get in those decent sized groups and you come back from the field and you collate that information you can start to sort of narrow down where you're actually going to find those deer pigs goats because you've all been out all day pretty much having a look around seeing watching sitting and waiting and and when you get that information you can actually start breaking down what parts of the forest these deer may have been from that doesn't mean the deer aren't in the other areas but when you start seeing that patterning of well we saw them more on the south side we saw them more down here we saw them on the road near this area coming out coming back to camp for the rest of the night so again that's a little bit of information for you that i think if you do get in those good sized groups it saves you from having to do that scouting yourself and you can all come back with that information and start patterning rough locations of where these deer are actually all the goats or pigs are actually hanging out another tip and trick i've got here which has been really the most successful for me uh sitting and waiting a lot of you guys know i spent five years and probably people listening to the show i spent a long time trying to hunt deer yeah i got opportunities from people that you know would talk to me because of the show and said mate i know you haven't got a deer come down and shoot a deer here but i wanted to do it myself so i found the most successful thing for me it's not going to work for everybody is finding a place where they want to be so if you already know you're seeing good amounts of scat good amounts of prints you know where they're going to be find good places to sit and good places to wait whether that's over a you know watering hole in summer whether that's on the edge of private land to to public uh, to public land sit there have a look at game trail sit 30 or 40 meters off a game trail sit wait watch smell Listen, because it is absolutely amazing, at least to me, absolutely amazing what you will see and what you won't see uh, when you actually move through an area. I've sat in plenty of areas and all of a sudden, Brumbies come out, wild dogs, foxes, rabbits, 
pigs, whatever it may be. You see a snapshot over two hours when hunting in a certain area if you're sitting and waiting. That has been the most successful thing to me. And on the next interview coming up in just a few moments with Daz from uh, Into the Mountains, you need to take one of their sensors away. And I've found mostly they're always hearing me. It doesn't matter how slow that I move, they're always hearing me. And you've got to get the one up on them. You've got to get it. Get, if you're sitting there, on a game trail, 30, 40 metres off a game trail where you think they might come out. You sit there in the morning, 5.30 until 9 o'clock. Then if, you want to, and then if you want to move around, sure, go and move around, go move to another area, sit and wait again. But inevitably, when they actually pop out or they're coming through, if the wind is right, they don't know you're there. And ultimately, that's the most superior position to be in when they're in your vicinity and vice versa, and they don't know you're there, you have the one up on them to be able to get a shot away. And uh, it's the element of surprise. And I've found probably that tip alone has absolutely been the most successful for me sitting and waiting. So try it, see how you go. If you're in an area, sit there, sit on a game trail, sit on the corner of private property where maybe they're coming out of the pine and they're going across to feed on the luscious green grasses of the private property. And again, there's nothing illegal about that. If you shoot them on public land as you're legally entitled to do so, there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to intercept them moving from one area to another. So I think that's a good tip. And again, one that has been made me quite successful uh, in being able to do that. Um, going on, another tip is using tech technology. You're probably going to hear a few people talk about technology, things like Google Maps. This can be absolutely important in finding areas to be able to camp in when you go to State Forest. One tip I'll give you as well is do not rely on one particular area when you look at it on Google Maps for a camping spot because often <laughs> when you get there, it'll be overgrown with thistles and burrs and weeds and it's six foot high and you've got absolutely no chance of camping in that specific area. So make sure when you actually go out, you tag about five or six different spots, especially if you're actually going at night because you don't want to get there You've only got one spot that you've planned on the map and you're like, oh my God, where am I going to go now? Because what it looks like on Google Maps, maybe the satellite imagery is old and it's just not as it presents in a Google Map image, trust me. Um, it also lets you look at a lot of the areas when you actually overlay, like example in New South Wales, when you overlay the, the KMZ files on Google Earth, you can actually have a look where the edges are. Look at where the private properties. look at the areas, stick to the fringes, hunt some of the fringes first. Uh, if you're fit as an absolute fiddle, that's totally fine. You can move from some of these areas as well. But again, a lot of the success I've found tends to be from a lot of the fringe country sitting on those game trails. But again, if you don't really want to do that and you get sick of that, sure, start moving through the bush as quietly as possible. But uh, they're just some of the tips as well. Probably my last tip before we get into our first interview with Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains is persistence. I get a lot of people that message me, say they can't hunt deer, and inevitably, they just end up giving up, which is really sad because yeah, success is out there. Success is is waiting for you to grab it by the the ears. It really is. And you know, you can, as they say, very, very important tip, you cannot shoot deer from the couch. You can't shoot deer from watching people hunt on YouTube. You can only do it yourself by being out there in the field. So there's one tip I have to give is persistence and dedication. And just keep going and keep going and keep going. The more hours, the more minutes, the more days you can spend in the field, the much more successful uh, you're going to be. If all you can do is that one trip per year or two trips per year, try and make them as fruitfully as you possibly can. And ultimately, persistence, 
will pay off for you if you take your time to learn properly and be in the field and dedicate that time whilst you're out in the field to make sure you can spend every minute you can in the field so you can become more successful. And the same goes for me. I spent five years to get my first deer and then it's almost like, I don't know if it's <laughs> karma, it's the Lord, it's some weird... <laughs> I can't even explain it, but ever since I shot that first deer, whether that was on private after that or public, I had really, really good success after that. I remember there was many trips, whether it was private or public, I was really successful. And I, I can't explain how in five years you can not be successful and then shoot a deer and then be extremely successful after that. I don't know if someone's looking down on me. It's I don't know what it is, but certainly the monkey was off my back. The penny had dropped, but... You know what it might have been actually too? It might have been the fact that I'd learned a lot of stuff over that preceding five years about what to do and what not to do. And you don't even realize it, that you're learning things each time you're out in the field. But anyway, there's my couple of tips uh, from being out in the field, what to do, scouting, sitting and waiting, using technology and persistence and dedication to pay off. So what I'm going to do first, I'm going to bring uh, Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. If you haven't checked out his videos, you can do so at Into the Mountains on YouTube and Instagram as well. Uh, so we'll get in with the interview with Daz and he's going to drop some awesome knowledge bombs on you guys uh, on to become more successful on hunting on public land in Australia. So let's get into the interview. On the line with me right now, I've got Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. Mate, how you doing? First off, before I was going to go any further, if you haven't seen his videos, check him out on YouTube in, called Into the Mountains. And uh, if you're like most of us, and I was just talking to one of your friends, Steve, from Bold Action Productions a bit earlier, and uh, as most of us, like when we, I know you're in Victoria too, so when we go through COVID, a lot of people like to, you know, jump on YouTube check out hunting videos and sort of live vicariously through other people during the lockdown. So I'm sure they got many value out of your videos, man. So thanks for coming on to share your experience on um, hunting on public land to give people some, uh, yeah, I guess a different perspective and how to be more successful on public land. So thanks for joining me. No worries at all, Jace. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's been a, um, it's been a tricky year for us in the, in the lockdown, but I certainly have noticed uh, Lots of people, uh, yeah, downloading a lot of those videos. The, the views have certainly gone up during lockdown. So hopefully, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who's kind of helped them get through this tough patch. And even by myself, uh, I haven't been able to get much, you know, content at all or opportunities for content. Uh, we've got a couple of trips in in between lockdowns, and just recently we went out. I don't normally hunt this late in the season, being it's quite warm and there's lots of uh, wrigleys about and flies, and you know we're predominantly meat hunters, so. Um, yeah, it creates uh, a few problems with uh, cooling it off and hanging and, you know, flies and all that kind of stuff. So and it's, it's certainly been a tricky one for us, but, um, yeah, we're keen as muster. We're planning and looking forward to the, the new year already. And being that we've had a pretty wet October and, and a big gap and uh, off the deer, the, the little bit that I did hunt this year was uh, absolutely bonzer. It was excellent. The behaviour of the deer and the quality of hunting each time we went out was kind of second to none. It was Certainly uh, up there with the best, some of the best salmon footies ever captured in the last couple of weeks. It's been excellent for us. It's really good. Nice. I was going to say, it is certainly getting very hot at the moment. So not definitely not one of my favourite times of the year to go hunting anyway when it just gets way too hot, snakes yeah. and so forth. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, much other cold beer and a fishing rod, I think, this time of year. Exactly. Totally right. Mate, top three tips we want to talk about that people will be able to use that can you know, immediately sort of go out there and become more successful. A lot of people get frustrated. They don't know how to, you know, hunt. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying to learn, yep. which is fantastic, which is all part of it. But what sort of tips and tricks can we start off on to give people 
the tools they need so they don't walk away from hunting saying, well, I'm not getting anything. This is just a complete waste of time and, you know, take up some other hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It can be frustrating. I'm in a position where I get to interact with lots of people that are getting into the sport, being that I work in the industry and, you know, involved with the ADA and the, the hunter ed and stuff like that. It's really good to see a diverse group of guys kind of all having the single same struggle and, and getting that feedback. So, I'll try and um, I'll try and help your listeners out with a few few tips. So um, it's a it's a pretty broad thing, but I think from a beginner's point of view, um, it's been a long time since I started myself with a self taught journey with Samba. I didn't you know have much tuition or or resources back then when I started. But looking back, my early successes are really just a mix of sheer determination and a good dose of dumb luck. So uh, since then, I've learnt that. You still need some luck, but you can certainly work with some more consistent results on these deer. And, and um, yeah, to break it into kind of three loosely uh, kind of tips, um, the first one would be definitely arm yourself with knowledge. That's something that I didn't get until kind of halfway through my journey. And there's some really, really great books, clubs, and and courses now. The, the ADA does an excellent hunter edge cor- course that uh, fully encompasses all six species over a couple of days. It's really good value for money. Um, and you know, if you go and do one of those courses or you, you're looking through this literature and whatnot, just pay particular attention to a deer's daily habits, the behaviours and a deer's needs. That's really going to give you a head start on these animals. So secondly, a second tip would be to try and um, work to get an advantage over the deer's senses. So what I mean by that is um, is the sight, smell and sound. So three senses during when we hunt. Um, um, what to do to try and take away just one or maybe two of those senses of, from that deer. So, for instance, say take away the sight. You might that might be to use your binos to glass up a deer on an opposing face. Um, you know they've got a really good, really good nose, and no masking or you know kind of trying to contain your scent will help you. The best thing you can do is just with your smell is to try and keep that wind right. Learning, you know, use a wind puffer. Learning how to. Uh, understand how deer interact with thermals and when they move and why they move, things like that. And sound, you know, they've got big bad ears and you just won't trump those ears, but you can do things like, um, you know, choosing the footwear that you pick uh, makes a difference the way you walk. So breaking up the sound pattern of instead of being consistently walking, try and break that up a bit like how an animal moves. Um, plan, you might plan to use a, you know, a light windy day to your advantage or a rainy day that drowns out the sound in the bush. So those, those three senses on a hunt, I'm constantly readjusting my hunt to try and just take away one of those key deer senses, and that, that can really give you a significant advantage. So you know, if I'm working the wind and then the wind betrays me and blows up my ass it's straight into where I'm concentrating, I might switch tactics if the wind's not behaving and I'll go back over to glassing, you know, an opposite thing. So just mix it up and just try and try and get the trump on on the deer just with, with just by one of those senses that makes a big difference. So. And uh, probably, my, I know we're going to keep this fairly brief, but the third tip, there's a lot in it, but um, it's it's just it's a percentages game. So, you know, most guys are going out there when they're starting out and you've got little to no chance. You might have a 1% chance of getting in front of these things, but it's the little things that count. If you, if you do things like, you know, just build up your 1%, just by keeping fit, keeping your gear in good order, you know, getting up early, you know, drag yourself that little bit out of bed that little bit earlier, you know, pay attention to how you're concealing yourself with camouflage. Um, you know, make a plan and try and you know be adapt that plan if the conditions change. It might be uh, choosing the right clothes for the conditions so you're a bit more comfortable and you can stay out a bit longer. 
all these little one percenters, they all add up. So you sit a living camp with just that one percent success chance, you're going to go out there with a fifteen percent <laughs> chance. You know, mix in a little bit of of more dumb luck and a bit of consistency, and you generally got a pretty good recipe to succeed on them. So they they can be. Uh, the, the key thing with all of that is is persistence. You know, try and um, be patient, and and these samba they'll teach you patience. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I wanted to just delve into a couple of those there, just a bit more in depth. Yep. So senses, sight, smell, and sound. What do yep. you think? I mean, a lot of people have different perspectives, but what do you think the most important out of those three is that you need to be getting right? What's in your opinion? So hands down, like the way I see Samba is that they basically see with their nose. So hands down, the scent is a thing. They might see you and they might be fooled to think you're something else. They might even hear you and think, again, that you're another deer or just something else in the bush. But 100%, if they smell you, they are 100% not going to get that wrong. They will get you every single time. So yeah, number one is definitely concentrate on the smell and yeah, I've tried extensive masking techniques, um, you know, by putting eucalypt stuff on there, by putting all my clothes in a bag a night before with a local – I tried all that over the years and there's a lot of research into the way that deer smell and especially with dogs and the way they smell. And from what I've found, the best thing you can do to combat that is just keep the wind right. Just don't worry about any of that other stuff. Just try and keep that wind right. And using a wind checker, there's lots of different ways you can measure wind, but to really see what happens after the wind has gone past you and how it drifts and how it behaves with with thermals, particularly warm air and cool air, get yourself a good wind puffer that doesn't clog up in the wet conditions, and and that is an absolute necessity. I'm using that just as much as my binos. I'm using that consistently to to try and aim where I'm actually focusing on in which areas. So. Yeah. Yes, work the scent for sure. What do you think? I mean, we talk about smell too, very, very important one as well, you know, to get, make sure you, you know, obviously either downwind or make sure you, the scent's not going right towards the place you're actually going to be hunting at. But what have you yep. seen, uh, even from other people, from yourself as well, out in the field? Like, how far can they actually smell? I mean, if you're if the wind's going the wrong direction, obviously that's a bad thing because we might only be able to see, you know, 50, yep. 100 metres, maybe 200 metres. Um, will they smell you on an opposing face if possible? Like I've never sort of, Definitely. of all the people yep. I've interviewed over the years, I've never sort of got a conclusive, I don't, I'm not, not even sure I've even asked the question, but uh, how yep. far can they actually smell before like, they're actually going to give you away if, in fact, the way you're going, maybe the only way you're going, wind's not in your favour, but you, you're coming down through a gully or you're coming down a mountain, they're on an opposing face. Will they smell you from that distance? Yeah, so the the one time I could definitely measure was when we were on a farm fringe and I had a clear sight across two gullies and we were ranging that hill at 800 metres. And it took – with the wind changed behind us and, and obviously it was blowing in their direct line and it wasn't dispersing. But we, when the wind changed, we have been observing these deer and we decided we weren't going to shoot for some time and we started the clock. And it took about a good three or four minutes for it to get there but at, at some point, they all lifted their heads up straight in the wind and they were out of there. So 100%, yeah, well, I can say that it, it travelled that distance across across a pretty flat terrain to their noses. Um, so, yeah, on the wind, I've seen it happen out to 800. Um, that's in open, open terrain. Obviously, the bush and in a wet environment, that's going to have a bit of a play there. Uh, and then there's also the residual sense. So walking to, say, my tree stand, um, I've witnessed a deer walking across my line and not even cared, like just freshly. It's just gone straight across my line and didn't even seem to bother. And then I've sat there for three or four hours and, and a deer has hit my scent line 
and just done a big U-turn and take off. So, yeah, it is still – it's a little bit variable. I suppose the way scent will cling to things and the way the, you know, the UV light will burn off, and there is a few studies about it, but, yeah, not – I couldn't say consistently um, either. Yeah, it happens a lot, and the wind works in weird ways. I can, I've been in situations where the wind is blowing directly at a deer, and I'm thinking, how can that deer not smell me? You put the wind puffer out and the wind does go towards the deer for a bit, but then the thermal grabs it and sucks it up in front of the deer and it's obviously just not reaching their nose. So, And other times when it shouldn't be smelling you and they clearly just look straight over and they're out of there. So, mm. yeah, it's a funny thing. You brought up the first one too, which I thought was very interesting. How does this affect the success of people for the needs and behaviours of deer? How does that affect their hunting, whether people will be successful or not? Yeah, so the, the needs and, and habits, you know, behaviours, stuff like that, is, it's a little bit like us, you know, they, they need certain things, they're going to need a, you know, shelter, the, the hinds are going to be looking for that good place to raise a young one, so they're going to need that right habitat, and that comes back to um, a little bit of boots on ground, but once you identify where deer are hanging out, and you look at a map, and you use Google Earth, and, you know, and you tile that together, you're going to be able to repeat that process in other areas, so that's why I would say pay particular attention to, you know, those behaviours and the needs because that's going to help you set up to, you know, for me, being a successful hunter, it's not just getting an L from time to time. It's being able to consistently find a deer in its habitat and you'll learn that by paying attention to what a deer needs. It needs a certain type of food and it's going to be grazing on that type of food at that time of year, even though, you know, they generally will eat a lot of what our bush has to offer it's going to prefer just like us a certain type of food at a certain type of year, which is going to be sweeter. So if you pay attention to that uh, and and you can kind of foresee that coming in as the season changes, you just have a, a much higher success rate of, of getting onto them and finding and putting yourself in a situation where those deer are hanging out. So, and that of course leads to more opportunities and more, more success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a good one here too is, is determination and, and consistency. A lot of people think they're going to come in, you know, especially more so that's what you catered to is more so deer hunting. They think they're going to come into, you know, deer hunting where well, they're going to be slaying deer left, right and centre. It's going to be high volume. Uh, they yeah. think they're going to go once a year and be able to shoot a deer. I mean, sometimes that's possible if people have got access to those types of properties, uh, if it's private, but we're talking about public here. But, you know, how does determination and consistency and not giving up? I mean, we can't shoot deer from the couch, as they say. So I yeah. see a lot of people that have given up, you know, they just realise it's, it's too difficult. Like I spent a long time trying to get my first deer but I didn't give up and you know I'm proud of myself at the end of the day that I didn't give up and I've been quite successful from there on after and it's funny how five years not shooting something and then all of a sudden you shoot something then after that when they say when it rains it pours and the floodgates open so (laughs) how that works I don't know you know life's a very funny thing but can you just expand just a little bit to we finish off just on the determination and consistency Yes, I mean, I mean, we get that a lot. We get asked that, like, how do you guys get in front of so many deer? And it's not really that we're doing much different from any other hunters. It's just pure that we're out there a lot and we're out there consistently. So we get to hone that and hone that and hone that. And and that, that's what I find a lot of guys, uh, you, 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 these days everyone's time poor, you know. They don't have the time to spend out there. We might be spending 100 days of the year out uh, chasing these samba and, and, you know, on the YouTube and all those other bits of content we put out, it might look like we're getting, you know, animals on the ground all the time, but that's certainly not the case. There's heaps of weekends where we're just walking into the worst gullies, cursing that we're never going to come back into the system ever again and, you know, be, getting beat up by uh, Boxthorn and all the nasties and stuff like that. But, 
you've got to push through all those times and, and, and it's hard work. There's a lot of romance about it, I think, a lot of the time, but you, you really do have to just – it's hard to get out of bed in the middle just like everyone else, but the rewards are there. You know, I just kind of look at the, those early morning uh, sunrises at the top of the mountain and once you're up there, and it's definitely all worth it. So, yeah, you try and find someone. If you're not the kind of motivated person, try and find a hunting buddy that just won't allow you to sleep in. Um, you know, don't go with another guy that's happy to get drunk the day before and he's going to sleep in until <laughs> 10 o'clock. He's not going to be a good hunting buddy for you. Try and get someone that's a whip cracker and that'll get you out that motivates you and, and you lag each other on. That's, that's, that's key for sure. Exactly. Mate, where do they find you if they want to check out your videos and they want to follow you on social yeah, media? So- and- yeah, yeah. So yeah, YouTube. Um, my channel is uh, obviously into the mountains. Um, yeah, you can yeah look us up on there. It should come up. And um, I'm pretty new to um, Instagram, but um, yeah, Instagram. I've got a thing on there which you put up a few stills from time to time, and any new news like things like this, for instance. So uh, that's just into the mountains. Oz uh, letters O Z at the end there. Um, apparently the other into the mountains was taken. So that's it. That's how it goes. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I know yeah. we're short of a time. Hopefully, um, the other guys, we don't cross over too much. Or it's a bit uncandid. I don't know what the other guys have done. So Robbo's probably just taken all my tips because I just share them all with him. So we'll steer him <laughs> up a bit of that. It's been good. <laughs> it's been a lot of diverse opinions from, you know, yeah, that's just good. That's what I want. That's what we, we said we want on this show. We just want yeah. good people that, you know, have done it. And sometimes, you know, we just want, you know, a vast array of information. And a lot of people have, except probably of checking Google Maps and using technology to advantage, a lot of the discussions have been, you know, quite different. So yeah. that's fantastic. That's what I wanted. I knew by getting a lot of different people, there'd be a lot of diverse opinions. And that's you know, the best thing can... about Samba. So different, so many different ways we can hunt them. So many different ways you can enjoy it. Whether you're a hound hunter, you know, low range shooters, all different ways we can all enjoy it. Taking guys out, you know, in their 80s that still go out and enjoy this thing. So that's good. And I love, yeah, thanks as well, Jace. I love, I love everything um, that's been happening in this space. You know, I love seeing all that new Aussie content available. It's it's such a wide variety of platforms now, and and guys like yourself in particular have kind of really spear tipped this thing with the Aussie content on podcasts. So. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on there, I'm sure, um, in the future. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon and um, we'll do a bit more. It's good. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll do – maybe we'll do a longer format down the track and get sort of more into the into the meat and potatoes, as they say, and, um, you know, yep. do something in a longer form format. So we'll definitely do that. So – Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. Check him out on YouTube if you want some great hunting content. You know, you want to feel like you're there living it. That's what we like when we're sitting on our couch. We want to feel like we're shooting the deer. So um, check him out and check him out on Instagram and all our social medias. Daz, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. Hey, boys. Fantastic, guys. Hope you really enjoyed that uh, segment there with Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains, uh, dropping some really good knowledge bombs on this show. So thanks, Daz, for that. Now, okay, we're going to get into a bit of a controversial one now because it always seems to be a little bit controversial is uh, equipment gear and rifles. Now, this is not the be-all and end-all. This is not um, a caliber wars or anything like that. This is just some tips that I've learned, again, break these tips all you like, use whatever guns you feel to be necessary uh, and humane to be able to dispatch your game, but I want to go through some of the bread and butter species uh, and some of the calibers you're going to be able to use and the reasons for it. So firstly, I want to talk about the rifles that you can be, you're able to use. Mostly, they're going to be the bolt action lever or they're going to be you know, straight pulls or similar. 
most people generally hunting would opt for the the bold action that's not everybody because of course lever actions are pretty popular in say the 30 30 and the 45 70 especially when hunting deer in places like victoria and new south wales and queensland and other states around the country where you can use those straight pulls haven't seen many people using straight pulls but of course you can if you've got one in the right caliber they're absolutely going to work for you Good shot placement, good caliber selection when hunting game. Absolutely, you'll be uh, as as successful as anyone else in the field. So let's go through our bread and butter species. First off, we've got hares and rabbits. We've got foxes, goats, pigs, deer, and ducks. Um, again, ducks mainly would be probably for Victoria when you're hunting on public land. I didn't want to discount the ducks because I thought that was important too for any budding duck hunters uh, that want to get out. A lot of us actually cross hunt you know we hunt deer goats pigs i like my duck shooting as well wing shooting i can only do it when i'm in the riverina in new south wales for the rice mitigation season but certainly we wanted to add that as well so let's go first off hares and rabbits so obviously you've got the humble 22 long rifle which most of us use that's going to be a perfect one for if you want to head shoot them even if you body shoot them you're going to be able to utilize most of the meat of course you've got your 22 magnum you've got your 17 hmr now when we do start step up to the 223 uh, and triple two 204 250 for an example you know <laughs> I've shot them with 243 223 and pretty much anything over 3,000 feet a second really does a lot of damage so I think unless you're going to be head shooting them uh, stick to you, you know your rim fire cartridges your 22 LR your 22 mag 17 HMR I mean just to name a few sure if you can head shoot them with the 223 and so forth that will do the job um, but again it causes a lot of damage especially like the 250s the 204s and if you're close distance it pretty much just decimates them so you know, again, all depends on what you're going to do. Pest control versus hunting for meat. It's two different things. All right, next one we've got up is foxes. Again, you can use the 22 long rifle. I think with good shot placement, yeah, the 22 LR is good, but there is a little bit of a room for error there. So not my first choice, but if that's all you've got, that will work. Again, 22 Magnum, 17 HMR, perfect for foxes. Uh, and then, of course, you jump into your center fires, 204, 223, you know, the 22, 250, the triple two, you know, the 220 Swift. There's all these, there's plenty of calibers that are really going to do a good job on foxes. Um, if you're going to shoot foxes with a shotgun on a stand, for an example, like you're going to call some in with maybe a, a whistle or a game caller, you know, I tend to use anything from fours and down. So fours, twos being pretty good. Of course, my main probably being BBs or triple A's. They'd be my first choice, BBs or triple A shot. Uh, obviously, 12 gauge, you know, you want to hit foxes as hard as you possibly can. Uh, normally with a full choke. That's what I normally do with a full choke when I'm on a stand. So, yeah, BBs, triple A's, 12 gauge shotgun, full choke, bang, stone dead. That's how it really works for me. But, you know, again, if you want to use a 20 gauge, make sure you're using some good heavy loads. You can use it. But I think, you know, again, for cheapness, can't go past 12 gauge all right we've got goats now goats are an interesting character years ago i shot them with a 7 mil 08 with a 120 grain v max and it was passing straight through you know it probably was a bit too much gun but again on some of those billies you can still knock them down pretty well so on goats i still know a lot of people that shoot goats with a 223 
uh, 22,250. Uh, again, probably minimum about 50 to 55 grains there. Again, probably not the best option on some of the billies, especially some of those really shaggy billies with the long hair. You want to be able to penetrate good. I knew a guy that used to shoot a 204. Uh, next shoot goats, the biggest of billies would drop like a sack of potatoes. So don't feel like you're under gun. Is it the best option? I'd say probably not, but I'd be stepping up definitely into the two, four, three, and the six and a half category. You know, plenty of options there in six and a half. You know, you got your, you know, your one forty grains, your one thirty grains. They are really, really going to do a absolutely fantastic job. The six and a half, and of course, you can go up from there. Some people shoot them with the seven mil oh eight, like I was shooting them before. You've obviously got your seven mil magnums. You've got your thirty cows. You know, your three hundred wind mags, your three hundred rums. You know, you're probably getting a bit overboard there for a soft skin goat. But hey, if that's all you've got, that is absolutely going to work. Um, if I had to pick one, I reckon probably two. Four three with say minimum ninety grain bullet. Even the eighty seven grain V Max will make short work of, of goats, especially small goats. Uh, again, if you're going to get into your really big billies, uh, again I'd probably start going at the minimum into the six point fives, into the seven mils and the thirty cows. Yeah, you know, making sure you're going to have a good enough knocking down power to get through those. You know that really shaggy hairy coat of those big big billies. So, all right, pigs. Now pigs have got a good strong armor on them. Two, four, three, absolutely would probably be my minimum. Sure, I know some people shoot him with a 22,250. Uh, I used to know a guy that used to shoot him again, 204, straight behind the ear, absolutely stone dead with a 40 grain. I think it's a 40 grain or a 39 grain Blitz King. Instantly stone dead behind the ear, but he was quite a good shooter. So, two, four, three, minimum, I would say probably. 95 100 grains there 6.5s you can run your 130 and 140 grains uh, 7 millimeter magnum 150 grain very very good cartridge as we know and of course the mild shooting if you take your wife out um, not even for that most people some people do use the 7 mil 08 you know 130 to say 150 grains of course you can go more than that's totally fine you've obviously got your 308 again you know roughly 150 grain 306 160 or 150 to 180 you got your 300 wsm or wind mags and of course you got your roughly 300 remington ultra mags uh, again you can also use 30 30 your lever actions your 45 70s they're going to make absolute short work of those uh, piggies coming up next we've got our deer species now don't forget there is certain states in in Australia, you have caliber limits. So for, in Victoria, I know it's uh, 243 and above for fallow. And also for your reds and samba, it's minimum of 270. So make sure you take note of that in Victoria. There's only recommendations in New South Wales. And again, I'm not sure amongst other states when hunting on public land uh, what they're. But again, check with your local regulator to make sure you're following all laws. So if, again, if I'm hunting fallow, uh, two, four, three minimum, say about 100 grain. Again, like I say, it's not absolutely you have to do that. I used to know people used to neck shoot them with a 22-250 or a two four three with like an 87 grain VMAX. Uh, definitely does the job on small fallow. There's no doubt about it, but it wouldn't be my first choice. Um, definitely you want to go minimum probably 100 grain. Again, you've got your six and a half, your Creedmoors, your 260s and your, your Swedish Mousers, etc. Again, you can run the 130 to 140 grain. 7 mil Magnum, again, great on fallow. And of course, again, your 30 cows or your 3030s, your 4570s and so forth. You know, you've got your humble 308s. There's plenty of different cartridges within there that are absolutely going to do the job. Now, if I'm stepping up to probably the big, you know, Sambo and big red deer, 
like 6.5 would be ah, the absolute minimum I'd want to go with a 140 grain bare minimum. I think that's probably going to be really the lowest you can go. Again, that's going to be pretty good shot placement. I've seen some of the biggest you've ever seen taken down with 6.5s. It is possible. Would it be my first choice on the really big deer? Probably not. I would say definitely start off with your 7 mils. Um, definitely your 7 mil magnums, your 7 mil 08s with a good 150 grain bullet. Certainly going to step up that over the 6.5 calibers. And of course, fantastically as well, you've got your 30 cows, your 300 win mags, your 308s, you've got your 300 rums, your 338s, etc. They're all going to do the job. And of course, again, same thing, big hard hitters, big heavy bullets like 4570. You know, 3030, again, within 100 metres, I'd say okay, preferably closer if I'm going to use those really, really big animals um, with the 3030, but it will certainly do the job. So don't worry about that. Now, it's all going to come up to the best tool for the job you know again if you don't have some of these calibers really have a good think about whether you want to shoot them with some of these smaller calibers they will do the job but it is going to depend on how far you're shooting and your skill and ability in being able to place that shot correctly so there's a lot of different calibers again this is not the most comprehensive breakdown but it's going to give you an idea sure there's other calibers in there you know 257 roberts and all these other calibers that are going to do the job absolutely as well i'm just giving you a basic rundown of calibers uh, that have been around for a long time that are on the market going to be able to give you uh, the best chance of putting a deer on the ground ultimately that's the most i think it's the most important thing there's no point trying to shoot it and wound it with a smaller caliber only for it to run off and die somewhere where you're not going to be able to retrieve it so in those big animals sometimes it's better to be overgunned i think than undergunned especially when it comes to putting down things like big reds and big samba following up quickly on the last one ducks um my go-to, obviously, is 12-gauge shotgun. It's going to be the most cheapest and most economical. Of course, you can use a 20-gauge as well. Some people even use the small little popper 410, but make sure you've got some good, decent-sized loads. They're going to be able to take a game bird down safely and properly. If I'm using lead on the rice fields, I generally go fours and fives. You can run twos. And again, all depends on what you're going to run. Full choke. If you're over decoy, if you're not, over, if you're over decoy, it's probably a you know half choke or quarter choke. You know, improved cylinder for an example. Um, if I'm going to run steel, normally I know most of the guys that I did ask on this particular issue run number two in steel and number four in lead. Uh, some people run fives as well in the lead on the rice fields, which do an absolutely fantastic job over decoys. Um, and again, same thing, a really good payload in a 20 gauge as well. If you really want to get out there, make sure you've got a good payload hitting that bird and as many pellets as possible hitting that game bird to take it down as much as possible. So hopefully on the equipment there, at least with rifles, if you're getting into it, it's going to give you a bit of a comprehensive guide on actual firearms and calibers that are actually going to do the job and again i don't want people to go out there and say oh, i need an expensive rifle you don't need to do that you need to buy a reasonable rifle if you've got the money spend the money i'll never tell you to spend less money the better gear you got the more successful you're going to be but not always possible as well i know a lot of guys that hunt with the cheapest gear possible the cheapest scope possible which we will talk about a little bit later but again if you want to get into it, you don't have to have a lot of money. I know a lot of people listening to the show got families, they've got kids, and they've got commitments, and they can only afford certain types of gear and certain types of scopes. 
If that's going to get you out in the field, it's better you being out in the field with the cheaper gear than saying you can't do it because you don't have expensive gear. So anyway, we're going to get into our second interview. This is a friend of mine, Arthur, very, very nice fella. He's going to talk about the differences between hunting himself and hunting with his kids. And I hope you enjoy it. Hopefully you get some information from Arthur that you're going to be able to use down the track. So let's get into that interview. All right, so on the line now, I've got my a good friend of mine, Arthur from Melbourne. Uh, he's going to give his top two to three tips on uh, hunting on public land now he's coming from two different perspectives he's coming from one uh hunting on his own and, and with his friends and also just f- probably the last couple of years just getting his son into it as well and how he'll you know basically hunt differently when he's hunting on his own to hunting with his son so arthur thanks for joining me mate appreciate it hey going jason thanks for having me mate excellent Mate, tell us you just t- top couple of tips, mate. Top two to three that you've learned, you know, that you've been out there that you think would be, you know, worthwhile exchanging and letting people know. Any new people getting into public land hunting or even advanced to intermediate? Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you covered it as well. Um, recently, the last two years, my son's fourteen now, so um, for the last two years, um, since twelve, getting his uh, his permits and stuff like that. Um, I've been taking him out. So my hunting perspective has changed a little bit from solo hunting, uh, more focused on, you know, obviously teaching a junior the right stuff um, and putting up with having a younger person there, um, you know, hunting because their attention spans a little bit different to an adult. Um, so, <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've, you've met my son Christian a couple of times, uh, more than a couple of times, but um, he's a good kid. But at the end of the day, they're just not used to, they're not conditioned to sitting and waiting quietly for a very long time. Um, they, they're fidgety, they, they, you know, they want to talk, they want to move, they want to do all sorts of stuff. But it's that persistence on trying to get them, you know, this is what you've got to do so you can get the end result. Um, and until they actually see something through their crosshairs, they don't realise it. Um, and it wasn't until Christians, I think, uh, third hunt, third deer hunt in um, New South Wales in the state forest in um, lovely Green Hills, actually, um, that uh, basically he actually saw something through the crosshairs. And since that day, his perspective on sitting and waiting has changed a little bit because he's figured out if you, you know, you put the hard work in, you will eventually see something. So, um, you know, that that part of it uh, has taken a while to teach him, but some things you can't teach they've got to go through it themselves as well so you know the fact that he saw it he waited he saw it um he didn't end up shooting it but that wasn't the point you know he missed that's fine it happens but um it's conditioned him now that he knows that if he sits and waits it will pay off yeah so that's the most important thing isn't it because sometimes i guess they don't see the perspective of sitting and waiting it's only and it's probably for most of us too even when we hunt on our own that you don't really realize it until actually something pops out in front of you it's all just well we're just sort of sitting here nothing's really happening you know kids have got a short attention span and then all of a sudden bang (laughs) you know something, something pops out I mean, especially with deer hunting, um, you know, a lot of people, especially in, in America, you know, they call they call whitetails ghosts because one minute they're not there, and then the next minute you turn around, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a you've got a buck sitting in front of you. Um, quiet as it's just one of those things. I, I, I remember sitting um, in my blind for hours, 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 nothing happening, and I've got my phone on silent. And I got a text message from a mate of mine who was probably two or three k's away, 
um, just asking, how's it going? Sun's almost going down. I haven't seen anything. You know, what's what's going on on your end? And as I've replied to him and press send, I looked up and there was a deer sitting 100 metres from me, <laughs> just sitting there. You know, for three hours, nothing happened. And all of a sudden, I took my eyes off, you know, the field for a second um, and there was a deer right in front of me. But um, ended up, you know, putting the phone down and, and, and shot that deer, which was good. Um, but could have easily had come out while I was texting. And then when I put my head back up, it would have been gone and I would not have been the wiser for it. I wouldn't have even known. So that attention to, you know, to details, you know, bushes moving, noises, everything else, you've got to be focused if you want to get it. Um, you know, it won't happen the first time, second time, third time, but if you're persistent, it will eventually happen. Um, so is your first tip, what, attention to detail, you reckon, attention to what's happening around you? Hey, I've, yeah. done, I've done that exactly too. You know I've done that. I mean, I've been sitting there bored out of my brain and I just jump on the phone or I jump on something. I've got something in my hand trying to pass the time when I should be actually looking at what I'm looking at, which is are there any deer going to pop out? Because as you know, they pop out at the most weirdest times when you're actually doing something, not when you've got your phone in your pocket. They don't come, but when you've got your phone out or something taking your attention away from the hunt, bang, that's when they come out. Exactly. Nine times out of ten, they'll pop out when you're packing up or even jumping back in the car driving. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, you know, you, you might be sitting there for three hours or all concentrated and, you know, and focused on one area and you pack up within five minutes, walk back to your car and all of a sudden, two or three deer cross the road. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, you could be sitting there for, you know, two, three hours concentrating on a single, you know, open area um, and all of a sudden you're basically like, well, nothing's happening. I better pack up, walk back to the car, it's starting to get dark, visibility is getting harder and within five minutes of you packing up and walking to the car, three deer might just cross the road right in front of your vehicle. Um, you know, you've spent three hours sitting there waiting and within five minutes of packing up, all of a sudden there's your opportunity but it's too late then, you know. So it's it's a waiting game and, you um, Unfortunately, it is luck as well. You know, it's luck of the draw. You could you could have the most perfect spot, and nothing comes out, and then you could go to a spot where you think there is absolutely no chance that a deer would come out, and there could be three grazing right there. Exactly. What about your second tip, man? Or what's your what's your next go to tips? Well, tips back on the juniors for you know people that are hunting with juniors um i've got a couple of little tips there i'll just rattle them off quickly and if you want to discuss them we can um but basically i've got you know patience which we discussed earlier um packing extra clothes because every 12 year old 13 year old 14 year old their bodies are different to us adults so you'll say it's going to be cold out there later on no 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 dad i'm right i'm fine i'm not cold and then halfway through sitting in a blind, all of a sudden they're shivering. So a tip would be bring an extra jumper or a jacket for them, even if they don't want it, because uh, they will ask for it or they'll end up taking yours. Um, <laughs> for, some, for, some, for some reason, my son keeps forgetting his uh, ear protection every time we go out. So I always make sure that I've got a couple of those, you know, a couple of dollar disposable earbuds. Um, so if he does forget it, instead of walking, you know, a kilometre back to the car to get his ear to get his um, ear protection, I can just give him those ones or give him mine, and I'll use those ones. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much that on the juniors. Um, I've got a few other tips on, um, you know, on actual hunting in those state forests. 
um, when it comes to recovery gear and stuff like that because, as you know, Jace, um, every time you go hunting, the weather is unpredictable. Yep, exactly. You're 100% right. Going back to what you said too, it was actually funny because last weekend when I went hunting, I lost one of my pairs of um, hearing protection, you know, the over the earmuffs, and I, had, I was thinking, make sure you put your ones in from your lawnmower so you got them, and then guess what? I forgot them. So luckily I'm not far from town. I had to drive back in, but what would have been good, and you're 100% right with that, it was those little in-ear protection, the little disposable ones. I probably should buy a little container of those and just keep them in the car somewhere because you never know when you're going to need them. Keep them in your bag. Keep them in your hunting bag because they're going to become, you know, one day, trust me, you're going to need them like I did. And, you know, I would have preferred not doing a 20-kilometre each way round trip, to, you know, going into town to buy a set of earmuffs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that goes with anything. That actually goes with the recovery stuff, with hunting stuff. You know, there's an old saying that, you know, I used to get all the time on construction sites and every time would go hunting with other groups when I was being taught was, you know, it's better to have and not need than need and not have. So um, if you've got it with you, even if you don't use it, you know, you could go hunting for five years straight and not use that one item. The day you don't bring it, you will need it. Yeah. Any other yeah. tips you've got there? Anything else you've got there written down that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, well, basically, you know, the, the recovery gear. So just because you go into a you know, state forest um, that has got established tracks because they do do a lot of logging, um, you do go off the beaten track sometimes and, you know, it gets muddy and very slippery. The minute it starts raining, it gets very slick out there. So, you know, most four-wheel drive, um, you know, hunters that have four-wheel drive will have a winch on there or something like that. But, I mean, you don't have to go out and buy a big expensive winch um, if you can't afford it or even, you know, mount it to your car. You need a bull bar for it. But having some basic snatch straps and some, you know, e even those um, – the uh, the mud tracks that you put under your tire in case you get a flat tire. Trying to jack up a car in the mud is virtually impossible. The jack will just sink. You need to have something to put under it. You know, a basic shovel, little things like that. You know, it will get you out of trouble. Um, and having a decent walkie-talkie or a CB so you can contact someone else um, is always is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I remember you were telling me, tell them about the, you were using Google Maps and, and finding sites and so forth for not just um, camping, but what might be good to, you know, suss out hunting spots. And you had some good ideas there too when we were speaking previously. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, basically, I, I'm a Victorian, so I'm in Victoria, but I do most of my hunting in New South Wales for, you know, various reasons. Uh, one being hooking up with friends that live in New South Wales. But, exactly. um, and getting away from Daniel Andrews. <laughs> and, and getting away from my, my neighbour, Dan. But um, <laughs> basically, the differences I've noticed between hunting Victorian forests and New South Wales forests is with New South Wales, you've got that booking system, which is fantastic. Um, we don't have to book. We can go to a state forest anytime we want. Um, which is a good thing too. You don't have to take the time out to book the hunt and all that kind of jazz. You can just go, you know, whenever you want, straight after work, want to go hunting, it's a two-hour drive, just go. Um, but I don't know how many hunters are in that forest in Victoria. I do know in New South Wales because the dashboard tells me how many hunters are in that area. In that area. But the maps themselves that you get from the, the New South Wales um, DPI that we can download onto, you know, apps like Avanza and have on your phone. They're interactive. You can mark spots. We don't have that in Victoria. 
we basically have to download a hard copy map of the area um, that is not interactive. I've heard that they're changing that system soon to something similar to the New South Wales system, which will be good. But to give you an idea about scouting, I can look on that map and then correspond it with Google to say that is a very good hunting area, that is a very good hunting spot because it looks fantastic from Google. But the reality is the best way to find a hunting spot is to physically scout the ground because it might look like a nice green pasture from Google Earth. The minute you actually get on the ground, it ends up being green bushes that are impregnable and you can't even walk through them. Um, but you can't see that from Google Earth. So a good tip would be, um, you know, if you're going for a four-day trip, spend that first day just driving around looking at spots, you know. Even if you've looked at Google Earth and you've said, I think that's a good spot, don't put all your eggs in one barrel and say, that's where I'm hunting and that's the only spot I'm going to go to because you'll find when you go there in person that that spot that you thought was fantastic ends up being, you know, not as good as you thought. Yeah, exactly, mate. All right, any any final tips, anything specific to the actual hunting, anything else you'd, you'd like to think of that, you know, may be able to, you know, help people, may get them onto the right track of securing, you know, that first goat or that first pig or that first deer or any other tips you'd like to pass off before we finish up? Yeah, well, I mean, scouting is the key. So, you know, the best hunting times is obviously, you know, morning and night. That doesn't mean that game doesn't come out during the day. We've got plenty of friends that um, go out sometimes, you know what, I'm going to go out at 11 o'clock. And by one, they come back and they've already hit a deer, you know, in the middle of the day. Um, The best hours is, you know, that half an hour after sunrise and a half an hour just before, you know, uh, sundown. But um, if you're sitting there at the campsite during the day doing nothing, go out and scout for about an hour or two. You know, you might find a spot that you'll go, I'm going to try that tonight. Um, And you might be lucky. Yeah, absolutely, man. Oh, awesome. Uh, All right, some awesome tips there to help out, you know, not only people that want to get into hunting, but... um, people that are bringing their kids along because, you know, Arthur gave us a really good perspective there about when you're bringing your children with you and you want to get them into hunting, that's totally different than what you'll do when you hunt on your own or you hunt with another person. So very good stuff there, mate. I really appreciate your input, Arthur. Thanks a lot. And um, I guess we're going to catch up. By the time this goes to air, I think we're already, we've already been to the Riverina, hopefully having some fun down there. So we'll catch up then. And thanks for uh, contributing to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. I look forward to um, next week, providing that uh, Dan lets me go. Um, I'll be there. All right, guys, hope you really enjoyed that interview with my friend Arthur, adding his perspective to being more successful on public land. Next thing I'm going to talk about is uh, scopes and optics. Now, I did a show probably some time ago with uh, Rick Cristiani from Leica, and you can go back and listen to that episode. It's AHP, hashtag 211, episode 211, optics and glass quality with Leica product specialist Rick Cristiani. So go back and listen to that. That gives a lot of information on how these items are made and how they actually come to market again doesn't mean i'm recommending leica by any stretch of the imagination there's some fantastic manufacturers out there that make really really good glass and really good scopes as well for good price points depending on what your budget actually is so first of all i'm going to say mention i think is spend what you can 
You know what I mean? If that means saving up for an extra two months to be able to hunt in the field and get what you want, I say just wait a little bit and get what you want. I've done this. I remember when I first started deer hunting, uh, I bought a book. I think it was a 7 mil 08. I was running a 140 grain uh, and a 120 grain VMAX there for a while, and I bought <laughs> a 6 to 24 by 50 on a deer hunting rifle. Like, I've no idea what I was even thinking back then, but you live and learn. And we're going to get into a little bit of um, selection of magnification of scopes in just a few moments, but spend what you can. There's no point being out in the field if you can't see what you're actually shooting at low light. And also the same goes for binoculars as well. Spend as much as you can on these particular items, because if you do look after them, they will last you a lifetime. And a lot of these companies these days are really coming out with lifetime warranties. So if something happens to it, something breaks down, the finish breaks down, the optics break down, you're able to get in there and actually get that... Um, fixed up either for free or at very very minimal cost so that's absolutely fantastic and good quality optics good quality glass if you can't afford that get what you can afford have a look on the internet look at reviews and absolutely get what you can afford because it's no point again sitting at home on the couch saying i can't get out there and hunt because i don't have the best gear that is bullshit you can shoot deer with the cheapest stuff possible i'm just saying can it be a little bit better absolutely but again, it is not necessary. Again, I want to get people out there in the field, get them out hunting because that's the most important thing. So, and we'll go on to binos too. Some people, what magnification binos do I need? Your standard ones generally are 8 to 42s, 10 to 42s, something like your 8 to 30s. I've got a pair of things, 8 to 32s or 8 to 30. Um, they're fantastic because they're really small. They're really good. They're really lightweight. They're on one of my bino harnesses. So they're just there. It's a small footprint and it's ready to go. I really, really love that size in the 8 to 30. Of course, again, if you're glassing across valleys, you do have things like your, you know, your 15 to 50s or even sometimes up to your 18 magnification, but they're quite big and they're definitely something you're going to want you know, to use on a tripod. And when you're researching brands, research your brands, find out what you want, look at the reviews. And again, it's all going to come down to pretty much the budget that you're going to be able to use to get out there in the field. Again, scope brands, as I'm not going to go into specific ones, but I mean, if I do here, there's, you know, Zeiss, Vortex, there's Night Force, you've got Leopold, Delta, Cytron, Schmidt & Bender, Leica, you've got Redfield, Hawks, Bushnell, Maven, Swarovski. Mate, there's so many manufacturers out there that you can pick from you're going to be spoilt for choice. So don't worry about that. There's going to be plenty of ones out there that you're going to be able to use. But again, spend as much as you can. If you can't, then you know, get the best that your money can, you know, can take you along the road and to get you into hunting and shooting. And the same goes even if you are experienced. You know, some guy, and a lot of experienced guys, they just can't afford those expensive optics because they've got families and other priorities. That's totally fine. Get what's in your price bracket. But if it means saving up, for a couple of extra weeks or months to get what you want, do that. I can't remember how many times I've bought something and I've eventually bought what I actually wanted and then I can't sell what, I, what I've bought for anywhere near what I paid for it and it's cost me you know, up to you know, $500 or $1,000 more than what I wanted to spend. I could have had the best stuff in the first place. So something definitely to think about. Now, again, if you're hunting thick country, this is especially state forests here in New South Wales, for an example, or even some parts of the high country, you, you can't see too far in front of you sometimes. So thick country, you know, a 2 to 7 magnification or a 3 to 9 by 40, for an example, or a 4 to 12. I wouldn't go much more than that in thick country with a 2 to 7 or a 3 to 9 being absolutely fantastic. You know, it's going to be good 
good lightweight and it's going to be good when you're shooting those 50 to 100 meter shots because sometimes your visibility can even be 25 meters and you don't want to be overscoped in that situation i'll ask me <laughs> when i have my seven mil and the bush nil at the six and a half to 24 by 50 it was ridiculous why did i even do that what an idiot but anyway okay let's talk about medium and open country three to nine by 40 again still fantastic i'm talking say up to being visible of say 250 meters four to 12 by 44s or 50s again the objective doesn't matter 44s 50 take your pick whatever and then you also got your four to 16 by 44s i think that's pretty good for medium open country i know guys that use even hunting medium country and still use a two to seven which is a small, lightweight, compact scope, ready to knuckle deer at the first at the first opportunity. So again, these are just a rough guide. It's not the be all and end all. It's just a rough guide. Then, if you're in open country, again, so we're talking where you can probably shoot if you have the experience. Again, up to you know 500 plus for 250 plus. You got your four to twelves, your four to sixteens, your three to fifteens, your four to twenties, and then you step it up into that bigger, into that six say to 24 type scenario. Maybe you've got a great hill where you know there's going to be some deer out, and you want to sit on that hill and you know scope and shoot to the opposite face for an example that's totally fine you're going to be able to do that again with those higher magnification scopes you can still do them with the smaller ones again plenty of people are shooting 10 power scopes and shooting up to you know a thousand meters again maybe we're not shooting that far because your experience is not there but i'm just giving you guys some ideas anyway so what we're going to do now we're actually going to get into our next interviews a guy that i know really well his name is josh really really fantastic guy he's been successful as well and uh, he's learned a lot of different tips and tricks as well so we'll get into the interview with him and hope you guys enjoy the knowledge that he's going to drop on this one too josh mate what's going on not much how you doing mate good mate we went on a big trip last weekend and we was pretty good yeah, I had fun up there. I always love going up to that spot. It's it's quite nice. It's a good camp, and it was much nicer this time that it wasn't uh, snowing. <laughs> no, it was too. Mate, we're talking about public land hunting, top chips and tricks. I guess for all different types of people, you wanted to concentrate on new people getting into public land hunting to make them more successful. So I guess, mate, what's your number, you know, one, two, and three, say, top tips on people getting into you know, state forest hunting, public land, doesn't have to be in New South Wales, could be anywhere, but your top tips to be successful. Okay, the the first tip that I give is like pick a target species. I try and relate everything back to fishing and when people would come into a tackle store and they'd say to me, you know, I want to go fishing, I want to catch something, I'd say, oh, what do you want to catch? And they'd be like, oh, anything. They're usually the people that don't catch anything. Pick a target species and say, right, I'm going for deer or I'm going for pigs or I'm going for foxes you got to be that little bit specific, I think. So pick what you want to go for and concentrate on doing that for the, the, the morning session, the afternoon session, for the day, for the weekend, however you want to do it. But just concentrate on one thing. If something else happens to pop up, that's great. But you're going to be more successful if you do pick a specific target rather than just a, a scatter approach and, and not know what you're doing. And I was going to ask about that. What is if something else pops up, like, you know, a couple of pigs or a couple of goats or, you know, maybe a fox or something? I mean, what would you do if you seen a fox too? Because sometimes I've seen foxes and, and those types of things. Like, oh, should I blow, you know, deer cover? Should I blow goat cover? Should I blow, you know, normally hunting bigger species? Should I shoot that fox, you know? <laughs> Always crosses my mind. I must admit, I, I've let a couple of foxes slide because I was like, well, I am sitting here waiting for deer. Um but yeah, it depends. Look, you know, a pig, I could maybe be uh, persuaded to have a go at, but yeah, I have let some foxes go, but 
you know, if you do pick that target species, you can you can do whatever you like. If you if you want to blow your deer cover for a fox, you know, go for it. But yeah, I think you know, concentrating on one thing, you're probably going to be more successful. And then yeah, have fun with whatever comes along if that's what you want to do. Exactly, mate. What else? What other top say tips have you got there for people wanting to get into public land hunting to be more successful? Uh, the second tip I'd probably give would be concentrate your efforts on one or two forests and get to know them really well. Uh, same as, you know, trying to be target specific. If you just go for the scattergun approach and, and try and do every forest one time, uh, I think it's a bit harder than if you say, okay, this forest, these two forests are about three hours drive from where I live. I'm going to concentrate on them. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to work out the spots that I like, the the time, the you know, just the rhythm of how the place works. You know, oh, I was like this a month ago. It's this. I think, yeah, just concentrating on one or two when you get started, uh, and just get to know them really well. Um, and this is one that I probably fell into when I got started was I just wanted to see all of them, and then you find that you know you don't have as much success. Uh, and then you know we started going to the now defunct, unfortunately, because of the fires, Green Hills. Uh, and I got to know Green Hills quite well with your help and, and the boys. And, and, you know, that was a regular trip for us. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be like that for a while now, I think, after the fires. But uh, I got to know that place really well. And we we're like, okay, front side, back side, you know, over there, we got to know you know, where they were, the good spots to be, when to be there. This is a morning spot. That's an afternoon spot. Whereas going to somewhere new every time, you, you, you're going in blind. You know, you're better off, you know, we would go in and say, all right, in the morning, I'm going to go to an old spot that I have seen here before. I know that they come through. And then maybe in the afternoon, I'll go and look for something new. And then the next time you come back, you know, either that second spot you went to, yeah, you saw something or you saw a sign or it was good and you might go back there again or you go, no, I'm not doing that again. I'll hunt one spot that I know has deer and I'll try another one in the afternoon. And just just build up, you know, you kind of build up a mental map of I saw deer here, I've seen them at this time and, you know, go back and try and replicate. Exactly. Some people tend to, I think I've done it once or twice, maybe you have too, where you go to a forest and maybe, you know, you don't see something or you go, nah, there's nothing here. You're driving around, maybe you're driving to the forest, you're driving back to camp in the afternoon or nighttime after sort of hunting that late afternoon and people don't see anything. They go, oh, there's nothing here. I didn't see anything. Or And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that is true, but sometimes it's also not true too. You got to sometimes spend a bit of time in a forest to see, you know, if there's actually going to produce or not i know people have gone to forest and i think that one's not actually too bad at all i've seen a lot of deer in there and they saw nothing and gave up on it yeah well when we first went to green hills i think you probably gave sharpie and i a couple of tips and i wouldn't have gone back to green hills otherwise like you know we walked through there for a day and a half i think and i was looking at like this is terrible this is the worst state forest i've ever been to and it was actually meeting you and talking to you and you're like no 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 you got to try and do this then it became one of my favorites so yeah you can think somewhere is you know isn't good but with a little bit of time and effort put in and and concentrating on it yeah it can become your favorite quite quickly yeah, exactly. Some forests, you know, you've been to or you go to neighbouring forests, you don't see too much. And then sometimes you go to other forests and, you know, you see a lot of sign, but you don't see any deer. And it's just, you know, sometimes it is hit and miss, but, you know, taking your time, learning, being in, 
you know, the same, sometimes the same forest. You, I think you've got to go a couple of times to, to really get a good feel of a forest, get to know some spots, do some scouting. And, um, yeah, what about your number three tip, dude? Well, the third one would be my number one tip, which would be hunt the edges of the state forest. Hunt the, the edges of the private land and the state forest. And this is probably mostly a deer thing, but I definitely found that, you know, most of them will hide in the thick cover of the state forest, but they'll pop out to eat on the private, you know, farmland. And you're sort of waiting for them to transition between the two. So a lot of times, you know, I'll sit and wait on the edge of the private to the state forest. And that's where you're getting, you're intercepting them while they're moving from one to the other. At, you know, the first probably five or six trips I had to State Forest, I was wandering around here and there all through the middle. And then somebody just said to me, look, just concentrate on the edges. Uh, that's where you're going to find most of your deer. And, and that was a big one for me where I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes perfect sense. You know, they live in the State Forest and they feed, you know, on the private land. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people say too, oh, you know, how do you do that? But again, it's fully legal to, you know, be in the state forest and trying to intercept them before, you know, they get on that private land, provided, you know, you sit on so just off some game trails or something like that. That always tends to be, you know, quite productive. 50 or 60 metres off a game trail, keep your eyes out. <laughs> how many times have, I'm not sure if it's happened to you, but it's happened to me, you know, we've popped, a deer's popped out, I'm, I'm screwing around on my phone going, I've been here for two hours, then I look up and <laughs> there's one standing in front of me. <laughs> yeah, well, look, the first year I got I saw him walk over the private over over the hill over and I sat and I got ready and I waited and there's a hole in the fence which is the game trail that I'm sitting on there's a couple of holes in the fences this deer went down and under it was you know just a little spiker but it was my first one down and under the fence popped up the other side on the road there boom and dropped right there and that was the first one I ever got you know just you wait for them to run along cross the fence that's you go Yep. So, yeah, the, the hunting the edges did change it for me. And I, I also think if you can find a mix of, if you're in the pine forests, if you can find a mix of private grassy, you know, cattle grazing, sheep grazing property, uh, a bit of natural bushland, and then some thick pine. Like they really, I think they do like that. This is deer again I'm talking about. They, they do like that really thick pine. They feel safe, you know, bedding down and hiding in there. Um, but yeah, if you can find a little, you know, a creek, a bit of natural Australian bushland, a bit of grassland, you know, fence and then pine, just sit down and, and wait and see what happens. Yeah, no, true, hundred percent. I mean, some of that thick pine, some of those forests, you know, and people say, well, why you sit on the edges? But you know, some of that thick pine, you you just can't get through. You can't see two or three meters in front of yourself, so it's not really productive in trying to get in there. Plus, you make too much noise, and you got to see them before they see you. I mean, that's where I've always been sprung. If they're onto you before you're onto them, sometimes you can get away with it, depending if they've been shot. But a lot of the time, you're just not going to get away with it. No, no, you, I, I, that would be the other one if I was going to add it is is don't, you know, the, the stalking deer is like the cool thing, you know, to do, but the most effective is going to be the, the sit and wait. Just sit somewhere for three hours and see what happens. You know, fiddle on your phone. Uh, I know it doesn't sound as, as much fun as, you know, something you're going to see on some amazing TV show, but it's definitely the most effective. Sit on the confluence of 
two or three game trails and just see what happens. All right, mate. Great tips, man. Thanks for coming on and sharing some insightful tips for people that want to get into, you know, public land hunting. We've all started there. It's uh, especially very rewarding, isn't it? You know, when you get your first, uh, you know, state forest or public land hunting, you know, you've absolutely worked for it and, uh, you know, you cherish those memories. Thanks, mate, for uh, adding those few tips for us, mate. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, with Josh, uh, his top tips and tricks with hunting on public land. Third thing I'm going to talk about here is safety. Now, safety is, in my opinion, probably one of the most things that most people overlook. So I think it's very, very important that we go through this as uh, the third part of our topic. So firstly is let people know where you're going, your wife, your kids, your family, your parents, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, let them know where you're going to be really 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 important you know take your snake bandages with you take your gaiters with you if you get that warmer weather you don't want to be bitten by a snake out in the field and shit could go wrong really really quickly so very very important uh my most important one is this is probably the best 300 bucks you'll ever spend is getting an epurb so it's an emergency beacon So if shit hits the fan, you fall over and break your leg and you don't have any way to contact anyone, you can hit that emergency beacon and they'll fly someone in and rescue you. Very, very important. I see a lot of this all the time where people say, well, oh, I've got my snake bandages and they hunt on their own. Well, that's fine. If you don't have an EPIRB, what exactly are you going to do? You're going to get bitten by a snake. You're going to wrap it up. So instead of dying fast, you'll die slowly. And that's not what you want, obviously. So again, get yourself an EPIRB. It will save your life. And make sure you register it with AMSA, the Australian Maritime Association. Make sure you register it with them. And again, you actually, I think on the AMSA website, you actually have a point. If you're actually going on a hunt, you can update the details prior to the hunt. So for an example is if you're going somewhere, you can say hunting in this forest. Um, and if I, and basically I've said in the past, if I you know, deploy the beacon, I'm out hunting. So they know straight away I'm in this forest and I'm out hunting. So they know actually what terrain you're going to be in. You might even say on there, thick pine. It's going to be difficult for a chopper to be able to get in there. Maybe they're going to land on the, a road next to where you are. Very, very important, guys. Make sure you get an EPIRB. Uh, I can't, I really can't stress that enough because especially if you're bitten by a snake, which I hope never happens to anyone, you know, the worst thing you want to do is be stuck out there, bandaged on the ground with no way to contact someone. And you're not going to be able to walk out of there. If you walk out of there up a hill, your heart's going to be pumping, you're going to pump the venom and you're going to be in a real shit. So, yeah, please don't, I don't want to be reading about someone dying, right? So take my advice. I think it's really, really important. Going on from that, UHF radio, in-car and portable. Oh, I can't stress enough how having a radio, a UHF radio that you both, everyone in the, in the party or the convoy is on, talking to each other. It is coming absolutely in handy as much as I could possibly imagine when I've been out in the field. Again, if you shoot a deer and it's getting to that time of you shoot in the afternoon and it's on low light, sometimes you can hike back to your car, you can jump on the radio, you've got mates in the, that are roughly in the local region, you you know hit hit the 
conversation button and guys, I shot a deer, hopefully someone contacts back and can actually come and help you uh, out with, you know, sorting out that deer, caping the deer, taking the meat and helping you out, especially if they didn't get anything as well. So again, UHF radios and a portable one as well. Again, you don't have to buy the expensive gear, just get yourself a decent radio and a decent antenna um, that you can actually talk to your convoy. Really, really important. And a lot of, a lot of people overlook this step and I think always having ways to contact each other and for safety reasons is ultimately going to make everyone safer and it's going to help each other especially when you're on a trip driving somewhere you want to be able to contact each other talk to each other driving around you know you're in forest hey guys i saw a deer can anyone hear me yep i heard you i'm around the corner perfect anyway so and, and taking a portable one as well i just use a really cheap one that's just a little bit of safety and security but again if you've only got a handheld and you're down a ravine it's going to be fairly useless but you know still it's just another area of safety and help that you may need if someone can actually hear you so uh, very very important for that as well another safety factor is when you're hunting with friends i do this all the time when you pull a gun out of the gun safe, you check to make sure it's safe. When you put it back, you check to make sure it's safe. When you pull it out of a gun bag, you make sure it's safe and you make sure there's no you know, loads in the magazine or anything like that. Make sure there's not one down this chute. Always check safety of firearm, especially when you're around people. If you've got other friends in the car, last thing they want to do is have a gunshot going off you know, through a door, through the roof or through the back of a seat into a friend because you did not check your gun very very important and sometimes i even give it to my friends to check i hold it up see make clear very very important if you've got other people in your car sometimes you know you don't want to trust someone else you know you, you want to make sure guns are clear we do this down on the, on the rice fields with duck shooting we show each other our guns to make sure they're clear before we put them back in the car very very important lastly on the safety issue again first aid kit making sure you've got a first aid kit in case something happens uh, again and having all those forms of communication uhf radio uh, making sure you've got your EPIRB because if shit hits the fan and you're stuck somewhere you need someone to come and save you. Otherwise, your life will depend on it. You know, and same thing is make sure you carry a little bit of food with you. Make sure you carry some water. You know, if you're only going to be going out for the day, carry enough water. That you know, you need to carry enough water. I think for two days that way, or even three days, because if you get stuck somewhere, you need to be able to get saved. And it depends where you are when you deploy that EPIRB. It just depends where the authorities are actually going to come from and how long it's going to take you. So, and again, like I said, if you get if you get bitten by a snake. Do not move anywhere, please. Wrap it up with your snake bandages and stay still. Now, I think you've got to elevate the leg and stay still until someone comes and saves you, right? Do not move because you'll end up dead. Last thing we want. Anyway, so we're going to get into another interview. This will be our fourth interview. This is Steve Robinson from, from Bold Action Productions. You might have seen him on YouTube uh, making some fantastic hunting videos. So let's get in the interview with his top tips and tricks from Steve Robinson from Bold Action Productions. All right, on the line, I've got Steve Robinson from Bold Action Productions uh, joining me to give his top tips and tricks on public land hunting. Good part is if you haven't checked him out on YouTube, I don't know where you've been, so you need to check out his YouTube channel. And I'm going to give him a good promotion too. Jump on and support him on Patreon, just like you guys do me, because it's important to look after people that you know are providing really, really good content on hunting. And most of us know, because I know Steve's from Victoria, uh, you guys down there pretty much couldn't do any hunting. So like most of us, we we tune into YouTube and we live vicariously through other people. <laughs> so, Steve, thanks for joining me here today. Great. Uh, my pleasure again, mate. It's always great to talk uh, to hunters about hunting and firearms and everything we love doing. And 
I think this topic you've brought up today is uh, quite a good one. I think it'll be open to interpretation by, you know, any and many different individuals. So, yeah, I can put my little slant on it, I think. So. Absolutely. If you want to go back, guys, you can go back to – it was actually episode 200 um, back in August of 2019, if you want to listen to the to the full show with – me and Steve talking about hunting, and just before we got on, we did have a chat the other day as well, and I think we went close to two hours, and Steve was just reminding me of that as well, and <laughs> we can definitely, when we start talking hunting, we can definitely get into it, that's for sure. Oh, you called me at a good time. I was driving, and I was bored, so I could always talk. I can talk without legs off a chair. Absolutely. So, anyway. Mate, starting with your first uh, top tip, let's get into This is for people that want to hunt on public land, that want to become more successful. We've had a range of different ideas, topics that have come up from a lot of different people. It's been fantastic. So what's your number one to start off? Well, I'd probably say uh, you, you've got to look after yourself. Um, and if we're talking sort of public land hunting from sort of our point of view, where a lot of it is going into remote areas, deer hunting, you, you've just got to know your limits, but don't feel that you have to be some sort of Amazon to be able to do it. You've just got to work within your limits, but by maintaining your health, as in making sure you eat well, you sleep well, you look after your feet, make sure you've got appropriate clothing, and more than anything is you've got to look after your mental health when you're in there. You just don't need to be stressed when things start to go wrong. Just take a breath, relax, take it all in. Um, and for me, I think the key is, especially as I get older, um, a lot of people feel like they have to keep up with the others or whatever. I think if you were hunting with a group of people and whatever, you just set yourself goals, and if you don't get there, it doesn't matter. Just do it at your own, your own pace. The most important thing is not to burn yourself out. Sleep well, eat well, look after your feet. I think that's probably the number one thing. Yeah, you brought up a very good one there about feet because that's something – where people just don't buy the right shoes, they don't get good boots depending on where they're going, if they're going into the high country for deer, for example. I mean, I spent, including myself, I spent a long time just wearing a a pair of work boots. I mean, you know, again, you're going into some of these areas down steep hills, they may, you know, flex, they don't work in the right areas, maybe you don't get the right size, the right fitting, um, and you can really pay for it, especially if you're on those hunts where, you know, maybe you're gone for five or six days, you're out in the elements, there's no cars nearby, you're trekking into a place, and if you lose your feet, you lose your hunt. Well, I think like yourself, mate, I've been guilty of it for years. You know, you just used to knock off work, you'd have your bloodstones, slip on bloodstones, and you're hunting in all the time. But as I've got older, I've paid the ultimate price sort of thing, and basically now I've realised I should have done it a lot earlier. I should have put the money into good footwear and basically protect your feet. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes we learn the hard way, but... Definitely. I know you look at, say, look, probably at the moment, the lowers are probably my favourite boot. They, just because they fit well, they seem to last well. But you're talking big money. But then again, what price, again, do you put on your health? So. Yeah, totally agree because nothing worse than getting – you know, damaged feet or blisters, and I've tried to walk in blisters sometimes, and if you're out there and you, your feet break down after the first couple of days, you're really going to pay for it and you're really going to be hurting and it's not going to be an enjoyable hunt. Yeah, it's definitely not the time you want to buy. go out and buy a brand new pair of boots and go in and do a 15K hike with a 20 or 30 kilo pack on your back. You, you, you've, you've, again, you've got to be sensible about it. So 
Absolutely. Mate, tip number two for budding people, beginners, intermediates, intermediate. even uh, wanting to get into you know public land hunting? Well, I think pretty prolific at navigation. And when I say this, you don't need to make it complicated, but don't just rely on one form of navigation. Right. Always, first of all, have a, a bit of an awareness. When you go into a, a location, make sure you, you've had a bit of a look on your maps before you go. Work out where the hills should be, the, the, whether it's um, watercourses, rivers, creeks, whatever. Have a little bit of an idea of what to expect. But then when you get in there, it, expect it not to look exactly like it does on a map. You know? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> the, the contours, I tell you, they, they love lying to you. You look at the contours, you know, that's not too bad. You get there and you think, oh, my God, this is steep. <laughs> but the, the bottom line is I think just have – I like to still go back to, to a paper map, and there are some really good ones out there now. But if you want to push it a little bit further, obviously have your GPS – have a phone with an app. I don't mind mud maps. There's a few others, Avenza and all those sort of things, but don't rely on one thing purely because shit happens. <laughs> and uh, it won't be the first time that someone's got disorientated. Um, and we've often had calls on the radios and the boys said, look, you know, this isn't, well, I don't think I should be going this way. And um, recently I've discovered with my sort of the, the Garmin products, the rhinos and that, uh, I think, well, I'm pretty sure, the magnets on my um, bino harness were really stuffing it up. So I've got to change where I actually put it on my body um, or change the actual uh, bino harness because, again, if you rely on that um, and it's pointing you in the wrong direction, then all of a sudden you start getting doubt in your mind. If it turns pear-shaped, don't be, don't be afraid to just sit down under a tree and spend the night under there. You know, it's no point walking. Once it gets dark and you're in the high country or whatever, uh, headlamps or not, it's not the place you want to be walking around in total darkness unless you know the country really well. So know your mapping. Know how to use your units. Know how to transfer uh, positions from a map to your GPS or vice versa. Um, the rhinos are a great tool purely because they're simple. If you're working with, with a few guys and they've all got them, it's really saved our bacon a few times, but don't solely rely on them. Absolutely. Safety is a very big one. And I always tell people, listen, if, even if you are going with people, if you're going to go alone, um, you know, if you're going off the beaten track alone to hunt deer and you're meeting back at camp, say, later at night, it's very, very important to carry an EPIRB too because, you know, i got friends that say, oh, I'm carrying the snake bandages, and for an example, and I said, yeah, but okay, but you don't have an EPIRB, so you're going to get bitten, you wrap yourself up, uh, then what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. You're going to, instead of dying quickly, you'll die slowly. So important yeah. to get an EPIRB and safety, know where you're going, 100%, couldn't agree more. Yeah, um, very much so. The technology today, use it, but don't totally rely on it. That would be my message. Sort of thing. Yeah, and great point too, taking two as well. I think that's a great idea. If your phone, people take the phones, they might have, you know, like a little mini power brick or something. And what is if your power brick, it's cold and it goes flat and then you've only got one charge, how on earth are you going to get out of there? Don't, you know, rely on multiple forms. Um, or sorry, I should have said do rely on multiple forms because you want to be able to yeah. make sure you can actually get back out there. If one fails, well, you need to have a secondary backup because if shit hits the fan, mate, no one's, unless you've got an EPIRB, no one's coming to save you. 
Well, and definitely when you've got a few of you standing around and you're trying to look at, at the screens on GPS or whatever, it's far easier to do it on a map. It's far easier to lay the map down and get a few of you around. So, listen, this is the area we'll go and then work from there. That, well, that's just what works for me. Yeah, very good point, mate. Tip number three for people who want to get out there on public land. Well, this is probably a combination of uh, hunting and probably in general, not just on public land, but the key is often when we're going to hunt in public land or anywhere, we tend to move too much and look too little. In other words, I think what you need to be prepared to do is get those binoculars out, really, really filter through the area, especially if you're in thicker scrub, thicker filter through that area and basically just be prepared to cover very little distance um, but cover it well um, because it might be the first time someone's got out of a vehicle sort of, oh, I'm going I'm to hike down to this point. They've got 50 metres from the vehicle and they've been honked. It happens all the time. So really, <laughs> you've you got to hunt. As soon as, yeah, as, soon as, as soon as you start uh, leave that vehicle, you've got to go into hunting mode and just be prepared to slow it down Use your optics and basically cover the ground ground well. It doesn't matter how far you cover. It just matters that you've covered it well. Yeah, totally agree. Sometimes when you get out of the car or, you know, it's happened to me, I'm walking back to camp. I've said this a million times on a million shows, but, you know, you're walking back to camp or, you know, I spent two hours walking as slow as possible in hunting mode. Then I'm walking back to the car to maybe head back for a couple of hours for lunch and then head out again for, you know, three or four hours in the afternoon. And then, you know, you see the, the arse end of a couple of fallow running off. I'm like, ah, oh, why couldn't they yeah. be here like six, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock this morning before I'm actually coming back? No. We've all learnt the hard way. We're all guilty of it. Um, and it doesn't matter how old you are, how many times it's happened to you, you still make the mistake. But it's just something that just bear in mind. Um, you know, every time you've got that firearm in your hand, you're in you're in hunting mode, whether you're 20 metres from the vehicle or two kilometres. Exactly. Any other special mentions, mate, you think might be you know, pertinent for uh, yeah. new hunters and even intermediate people wanting to become more successful? A lot of people also get turned off. You know, they go to a state forest they or you know, into the high country. It depends on what state you're in for what states have got public land hunting. And they're just not successful. They end up giving up. They think it's going to be easy. They're not seeing the animals. What other, any other advice you'd like to, you know? Yes, I do. Um, look, don't be hard on yourself, like I said. Don't, don't expect um, everything to fall into place. But it's the times that you're not expecting it will happen. But one thing I'd like to touch on when you're hunting in public land is just to remember that we are all representing uh, hunters in general. And, you know, we've got a battle on our hands at the best of time. And I'll be honest with you, one thing that really annoys me, and I think we all need to be aware of it, is to make sure we clean up, our, clean up after ourselves. Make sure you see rubbish. If you can, take it out. Um, because realistically, I'm seeing more and more rubbish uh, that shouldn't be shouldn't be there. It's pristine land. It should, as they say, it should be just footsteps. So that, that's that's my tip. Represent us well. Take all your rubbish out. If you can take other people's rubbish out, hopefully you don't need to. Try and do it. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, if people want to find you, where are you on the internet? I mean, I know where you are, but people that are listening that may not have seen your stuff, where can they find you? 
Well, as you said, mate, we've been a bit quiet over the last few months. Um, it's probably the longest time between drinks as far as hunting for me that I could ever think of. But obviously on YouTube, it's Bold Action Productions. It's probably the main thing that we're into is just putting videos out. Um, Instagram, the same again, Bold Action Productions, and obviously on Facebook. But, uh, yeah, I'm not a massive social media sort of guru, so if they want to contact me, uh, be patient because, um, uh, yeah, I can be a little bit slack with it. Yeah, and just leave him a nice comment. Don't leave him any bad ones like the, the fox hunters uh, <laughs> Oh, they do. love me. They love me. <laughs> <laughs> Steve from Bolt Action Productions, thanks for your time imparting your knowledge uh, for new people and beginners, intermediate, even advanced people that might be able to learn something from getting into public land hunting to become more successful. So, mate, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate uh, it. My pleasure, mate. And like, you said, you, like I said, you're always learning. Don't be hard on yourself. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. The whole adventure. Even though they're back in business, the closure of gun shops in three states during the coronavirus pandemic was an attack on every shooter's right to go shooting. That's why the National Shooting Council has taken legal action so that it doesn't happen again. The NSC is also leading the fight to stop the reclassification of firearms and is providing important voting advice for every shooter in every state, territory and federal election coming up. That's why the NSC is the leading political organisation for shooters across Australia. So support its work by becoming a member today. For more information, go to nationalshooting.org.au. All right, another fantastic interview with Steve Robertson from Bold Action Productions. Hope you guys enjoyed that and uh, you got his tips and tricks gonna, to make you a better hunter when out in the field. All right, some more equipment we're just going to talk about very quickly. Now, this is making sure you're actually going to be prepared when you're actually out in the field, having the right clothing. Now, of course, most clothing will work, but again, you've got to cater for the warm weather and the winter weather. So when you're obviously out in winter, make sure you've got your thermals, uh, make sure you've got the right sleeping bag, make sure you've got the right sleeping quarters, a swag, a good tent, and you've got the right sleeping bag. There's no... There's nothing worse than when you're actually out in the field and you're cold as absolute hell because you didn't bring the right gear, you didn't have the right sleeping bags and so forth. So make sure you're prepared when you're out in the field. You also need to be, need to be prepared for uh, wet weather, having your wet weather gear, making sure you've got your wet weather gear because nothing worse than when you're out and you just get absolutely poured on and you're not prepared for it and it's freezing cold and you come back to camp and there's very little way to get dry uh, or to dry your gear off, even if you've got spare clothing. Uh, you don't want to be out there in the fields. So make sure you've got a good swag or you've got a good tent. Um, one of the tips you're about to hear from from Muzz when he's going to come on next to give his uh, opinions on public land hunting and ideas and equipment is gazebo, 3x3 three three metre gazebo. Absolutely fantastic. One of the best things I ever bought was the gazebo. Keeps the you know keeps the sun off you guys during the day. It's a place to come back if you want to come back in the afternoon to relax. Uh, having a gazebo... Uh, especially because sometimes when you hunt these deer species, you may be up in a highly elevated area, plus a thousand meters plus. That sun, even in winter, will still absolutely burn you. There's no doubt about it. I've shot in that, had no hat on, come back, and I've got big red rings around my eyes. So be prepared to come back. You want to be comfortable when you're out in the field. You don't want to be in the sun, you know, because again, it can cause problems as well. So make sure you've got the right clothing, you've got your thermals, you are prepared. You know, things like those little hand warmers when you put them in your shoes and stuff like that. It gets pretty cold in some of these areas, especially when you're hunting deer. So again, make sure you're going to be prepared. 
have the right clothing, have the right tent, have the right swag, have the right sleeping bag temperature because you want to be able to get up in the morning refreshed and be ready for a hunt in the morning instead of freezing your absolute knackers off and you had a terrible night's sleep and now you've got to get out and walk and you're just not going to feel the best because you've been freezing your balls off all night. Uh, that's if you're a guy, of course. But anyway, you know what I'm getting at. Another idea too is when you're driving around, again, this is more four-wheel drive type stuff, making sure you've got a prepared vehicle. That's most important. I know a lot of people use small cars, two-wheelers, but they can certainly get you into trouble. You know, just general things, you know, like I've said before, UHF, car spotty, uh, things like a light bar on your car so you can see what's in front of you last thing you want to do is take out you know animals take out your radiator if you don't have a bull bar again bull bars are important if you're going to be driving around a lot of these areas um, and again being able to see what's in front of you good driving lights and again you can buy the cheaper ones they do a pretty good job too i've got some cheaper ones you can buy the expensive ones arb etc uh, they're going to do the job as well the new halogens and all those types of things again you want to be able to see what's in front of you especially when you're coming back to camp at night you don't want to be hitting large animals you know big sandbar fallow you know if you can absolutely afford to because again it's going to cost you money insurances and damages so uh, some very very important information then having the right equipped vehicle four-wheel drive hopefully being allowed you to get into those spots of course a lot of spots you can get into with normal cars just make sure you know the limits uh, of your vehicle again things like headlamps making sure you got the right headlamp make sure you got your skinning and your boning knives make sure you got your gps with you very very important gps if you're hunting on public land in new south wales you must have the gps maps you want to know where you've left your vehicle at the end of the day and uh, you also don't want to rely on one form i think steve said this from bold action productions you don't want to actually rely on one form of electronic device because if that fails or you forgot your batteries or electronically it fails you don't know you're not going to know how to get back to camp you're not going to know how to get back to your car and you may walk in circles and the shit could hit the fan and you may have to deploy the eperb so again good gps and the safety gear when being out in the field, very, very important. And sometimes too, like having something like a Leatherman or a multi-tool on you in your backpack absolutely is going to be very, very important because again, you might have a loose screw on a gun or something may happen where you need a little multi-tool to be able to fix up whatever it is you specific issue is that you know is happening so very very important there i always say too <laughs> shower in a bag uh, which are baby wipes people laugh i don't know i got this tip many years ago you probably all know it anyway baby wipes when you're out in the field are great because it's like a shower in a bag for your your bum and your your underarms and your body and so forth <laughs> sorry to say it like that but that's actually true you know there's nothing better when you're out in the field to be clean when you go to bed and pretty much you know, after four days if you're not using baby wipes you basically just turn into like swamp ass and you just stink and it's just yeah no good so take a box or two of baby wipes and of course as dispose them correctly put them in a bag and either take them home or or dump them somewhere on the way home in a bin in a proper bin and dispose of them correctly and of course like i always say carry water on you make sure you stay hydrated you know you don't want to get caught in the field and if something happens you get caught out overnight and you don't know how to get back and you don't have enough you know water or snacks to keep you going and you have to deploy your eperb so a bit more information there for you i think we should probably get into the tips and tricks uh muzz is it one of my 
hosts on the show that helps me out. So he's going to give his thoughts, interests, opinions on many things. One thing I did want to concentrate too, which I did forget about, is shoes. Wow, very, very important. You heard it from several guests on the show as well. Having the right shoes for the conditions. I'm guilty of this. I've bought just like work boots like Blue Steel. Whilst they're a fantastic boot, they're definitely not a hunting boot, I don't think. Unless you, you know, if you're basic hunting where you're only going to be in a car, you're spotlighting, sure, that's going to work. But those types of boots are just not going to work in like, you know, heavy hiking into the high country of Victoria. They're just not going to work. There's a lot of different brands out there. Jump on the internet, lowers, you've got lowers, you've got the Moabs, you've got heaps of different boots available that are going to do the job. And do not break a boot in on the hunt. <laughs> You're going to get bad feet. You may get blisters. They may be stiff and you're going to pay for it. You need to, as Steve said, look after your body, look after your feet, look up. You, know, you don't want to get chafed legs. Make sure, you know, I think there's a product, uh, it's called butt butter or utterly smooth, utterly smooth like the udders of a cow. And sometimes you can put, if you're prone to chafing, you can put that on between your legs because trust me, when you're out in the field and your feet start to break down, your fitness starts to break down, which is also an important factor, you start getting chafed between the legs and you've got to walk 10 to 12 kilometers a day for the next four days, you're really, really going to pay for it. And um, yeah, how many times has a hunt been ruined because of fitness, because of your feet breaking down on you, your fitness breaking down on you? You know, don't get me wrong, guys, I could probably lose an extra 15 to 20 kilos and I'm currently working on that, so don't hold that to me. But again, fitness and making sure you can be as prepared as you possibly can when out in the field because if you're not, it's really going to make a hunt enjoyable. And I know a lot of people that are in the industry that have spoken how their hunts have been absolutely broken down, especially when they've gone to New Zealand. They weren't physically active, fit enough. They bought new boots. They had chafed legs and... there's nothing worse i can just i can feel the pain now so be prepared when you're out in the field with your feet your legs your fitness your body remain hydrated all very very important things anyway let's get into our fifth interview with muzz he's going to chat about his experiences out and tips on hunting on public land all right muzz is joining me here how you going buddy yeah good jason uh good everyone Great to have you back on the show, man. Let, tell us about your top two to three tips. We've been talking about this for quite a while, uh, doing a public land hunting podcast. Now, I know some, what, I guess when we first started, I guess when I first started too, probably you as well, you know, it took a long yep. time to learn, you know, state forest, to, to learn the differences in public land and really, really do the hard yards on, you know, being successful and learning the patterns of the animals. So what's your top, say, two to three tips, mate, we'll go through that can, you know, make people better public land and hunters for more success yeah mate uh, sure no worries well i mean it's not all about just uh going out there and hunting animals you need to have a good time while you're hunting so some of the some of the stuff that i i think is an absolute must for making your uh camping slash hunting experience much much better is if you don't have a gazebo one of those three by three meter gazebos go and get one they're absolutely awesome if you're sleeping in a swag or a tent, the gazebo is going to provide a mad area, dry area for you. It's going to give you shelter. It's going to protect you from the sun, give you shade. And if it's a little bit rainy, it's going to give you a nice area to sit under and just chill out while the rain passes. So for all you hunters out there, if you don't have one of those pop-up, uh, not, not really pop-up, one of those um, uh, easy-up gazebos, uh, three-by-three-metre ones, they're usually around about $150 mark. You can buy them at 
Bunnings, you can usually get them at BCF and most camping stores. If you don't have one of them, uh, I mean, you should get one. It's an absolute must. The other thing is too, Jason, obviously, uh, me and you know this very well, you need a chainsaw. You just absolutely need one. Um, uh, you'll find a lot of dead logs. Some are really, really large and it's too big to carry and having a chainsaw around and chopping them up into manageable pieces and making it, making it for a nice fire is just really, really easy work and it's uh, an absolute must to have out in the field. Yep. Um, yeah, completely. So, yeah, but, um, I mean, th- those two pieces of equipment, you know, outside, you know, you can be sleeping in a swag or a tent. Me, I prefer a tent, obviously, because it's got a lot more room inside. It uh, takes up about as much room as a swag, yet uh, it provides you with a lot more room inside and a, pretty much a, an area for you to store all your stuff nice and dry and for you to change your clothes. So, oh. that's yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember when I think I first went out, we first went out, and, and Muzz pulls out this three-by-three-metre gazebo. I'm like, ah, what's this banana doing? But <laughs> I must admit, yep, those gazebos, man, like you've got to be prepared in state forest. You've got to be prepared for the cold weather. You've got to be prepared even in, yeah. as you know, even in wintertime, if you're up yeah. pretty high in some of these areas where the deer are, the sun is still, even in the middle of the day, I've come back in the middle of the day not wearing a hat, and for an example, and you know, I'm wearing my sunglasses, and I've got big, you know, sunburn rings around my eyes, even though we're in the middle of winter. And you know, having shelter from the rain, from the sun, when you come back to camp, I mean, just get one, guys. You know, this podcast yeah. is about not just what to do in the field, but gear and equipment and how to utilize that equipment, and you know, just being prepared for a hunt. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing too, Jason, that I would advise most people, if you're going to a new forest that you haven't been before, make sure you you scope the forest out really, really far thoroughly over Google Maps or Google Earth, sorry. Um, check out the areas where you could possibly uh, put a campsite. Uh, not only those areas near the road, also those off the beaten track, uh, you may find some really good areas where animals um, uh, tend to gather. Uh, so when you go to a new forest, make sure you reserve at least one whole day to explore, to fully explore the forest. So you want to check out all parts of the forest and just have a good look around, meaning you drive for a little bit, you step out, you go for a bit of a walk, have a look around the area. And, of course, what you're looking for is you're looking for significant signs of animals. So, for example, game trails, uh, their droppings, uh, uh, animal prints, especially hooved animals that would usually leave a lot of prints in a lot of areas where moisture gathers. So what you're looking for is you're looking for significant signs of animals to whether or not know whether or not that is a potentially good forest to come back to and hunt on a regular basis. And unless you see those significant signs, I would just definitely just go somewhere else and try somewhere else because it's hard enough to hunt them even when they're in abundance. <laughs> hey, side question to that. How often would you go, because we've been to – you know, state forest for an example. How many times do you think you would go before you call it quits on saying there's no animals there? Because again, and you, you brought up a real good one about, you know, hooved animals. I mean, in summertime, you're probably not going to see that unless you're around, say, watering holes. But in wintertime, because you've got a lot of dew on the ground, you definitely see, uh, if you're not yeah. seeing it in that, you know, sort of cold, wet weather in the mud, you should be seeing, you know, a fair amount of deer prints if they're actually in the area or at least some sign of, you know, deer prints being in the area. But I've been to some places, you know, we've both been there together and yeah. there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing of anything. You know I mean? no, that's right. Well, look, I, I don't hunt during the summer at all. You know me, Jason, I hate the, the heat. 
Uh, I don't really like it. I think summer hunting's best reserved if you're going on a private property where you can go at night and do some spotlighting where you're more likely to see a lot more animals. So, look, uh, I don't like hunting during the summer at all, so I usually just leave my hunting for the winter and the autumn uh, I prefer. And during that time, you should um, there should be enough moisture in the ground, so you should be able to spot some moved animals. And if you're not seeing a large amount of prints, like, you know, uh, for example, if you come to an intersection, you can see quite easily that there's game trails all over the place. If you're not seeing several different hooved animals there leaving prints um, on a lot of areas, then uh, basically, you know, it, it'd be pretty hard. You need to really be on your game to to hunt those few animals that may be hanging around that area, especially when they deer are very territorial as well. So you could just have a, a lone buck hanging around, which is fine if you're there during the rut and you can hear him and you can um, p- perhaps use a game caller or something like that. That's fine, but usually um, it's hard enough to find them even in populated areas, isn't it, right, Jason? <laughs> I remember Muzz, we've got, we've got to tell this funny story. You know this one. When we were, Muzz came back on a hunt, so we came back, I think we, you know, whatever it was, lunchtime, we all came back for yeah. a, you know, to meet or a meal and a chat, and then Muzz goes, oh, check this out, you know. I saw this deer, and I go, oh, yes, yeah, sweet. I said, did you shoot it? He goes, nah, but I filmed it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Well, actually, I, I was uh, just standing in a spot, just being really quiet and observing nature, and and I could see a deer coming out of the bushes, and I thought to myself, okay, I'll, I'll turn a camera on and see what this deer does and see whether or not it spots me or smells me or how it reacts. And I was I wouldn't have been more than 100 metres away from it. So anyway, just just for kicks, just for laughs, I started filming it, and he ran up up, up the road and then t- uh, took a sidestep into the bush. <laughs> so I didn't end up <laughs> taking the shot at it. But to be honest, I honestly thought it was going to be followed by a few more deer, which is why I, I held fire, if you will, and was hoping that there'd be a larger doe or a buck following it, but unfortunately not. Okay, so the other thing I would – the other tip that I recommend for all you guys out there is uh, really important is bring the right guns. Now. I know a lot of young hunters, they have a tendency to go out to the gun shop and to buy the meanest, blackest-looking firearm and to put the biggest scope possible on it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm guilty of that too, man. When I first put a deer, you know, yeah. six, six to twenty-four by fifty scope on my first deer hunting rifle, like now I yeah. think about it now and I go, what an idiot. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously. You don't see these things when you're a young hunter and you're, you're first uh, going to forest. You, you just want the meanest. Uh, black ops type looking gun that you can possibly buy, right? Okay, so fair enough. But when you actually go out in the field and you've got your big heavy barrel rifle with the big 6 to 24 scope or something like that on it, uh, and you don't have more than 100 meters sighting distance, you know, literally anywhere you see, you can't see longer than 100 meters because it's heavily wooded area, you quickly find out that those guns are absolutely freaking useless because you're not going to shoot anything with them because by the time you get any kind of um, acquisition of the target in your scope, it's pretty much gone. Um, so what you need to do, really important, bring the right gun for the conditions. Okay, that's that's one of my other tips. Bring the right gun. If you're going to an area that you know is heavily wooded, okay, you need you need a fast-acting uh, uh, sh- uh, open-sight rifle 
or a red dot red dot scope rifle, or something that's got low magnification, like a two to seven, two to seven by thirty scope, two to seven by forty, or something like that. Okay, so you need to be able to acquire a target quickly in short distance and be able to let a shot out, a shot out. So that's very important. Okay, so usually when you go to a new forest, my tactic is I'll bring my long range rifle and I'll bring my short range rifle, and I'll see what kind of forest it is, and then basically based on what I can see. I'll know definitely if I'm going to take out my long-range or short-range rifle. And the long-range rifle, you shouldn't have anything, in my opinion, you shouldn't have anything bigger than a 3 to 9 by 40 scope um, because, uh, to be honest, something like that, you can shoot things at shorter ranges and also longer ranges, something like a 308, uh, you know, ticker T3 uh, with a light barrel. You don't want something too heavy because if you're going to be walking around or, you know, carrying it all day, whatever, uh, it's going to be a bit of a pain to carry. So you may not look like a black ops, uh, spec ops commando, but you know, <laughs> you'll definitely you'll definitely shoot a lot more deer. <laughs> uh. So so that that's that's one of my tips. And and of course, most importantly, Jason, um, follow the rules. Uh, abide by the um, by the conditions of your license and uh, your permits and all that, and just be a good example. Be a responsible shooter uh, because that's only going to uh, I guess, uh, be in favour of all of us and all our responsible shooters. You don't want to be the guy, the dickhead that done something stupid in the forest that got the whole forest closed up. You know what I mean? You don't want to be that guy. Yeah, so no. just be responsible, follow the rules. Uh, don't do anything stupid in the forest and, uh, you know, you're going to have a great time. And one tip I'll give people too, I probably if I haven't spoken about it a bit earlier or, the, or towards the end of the show, but sometimes too it's good when and we went, we went with a decent crew on our on our last trip. We had a fair few people there and that was good. And I'll tell you the reason why. One, it was good mm. for camaraderie and friendship, but not just that too. What was good about it is we, most of us were hunting on our own. So yeah. when you had, you know, I'm having, not sure how many guys exactly we had, maybe 10, 11, whatever it was, 12, 13, however many turned up uh, to legally hunt uh you know, at the end of the day, they, they've all gone out to different areas of the forest, and what they've actually done is is scouted for all of us. Then we came back at the end of the day, and we all chatted. Did you see anything? Did you see any sign? Did you see anything driving back? Did you see anything walking around? Then I saw some. Our other friends saw some, um, but then other guys didn't see some, and we started tracking that they weren't, didn't seem to be, at least for what they saw, in this part of the forest. They seemed to be on the other side of the forest. So, again, if you... Go in decent-sized groups. You've got mates. Go alone. Make sure you carry an EPIRB. Got your snake bandages and all that. And then scout out. The, the more you, you separate, the more ground you're going to cover. And you're going to come back to camp. You go, yeah, mate, I saw like 10 or I saw none. I was driving around. didn't see nothing. I mean, you know, when you hunt up until dark, when you actually come back, sometimes you'll see a few on the road just driving back to camp or whatever yeah. it may be. Depends how far you're actually hunting from camp. That's right. That's right. Hey, absolutely correct. Look, we went – I've been hunting small groups and larger groups, and I think – Large groups are great as long as there's a lot of trust involved. Now, when you go with a lot of experienced hunters, you don't really have to worry about that. Okay, so a lot of people are a little bit worried about going in really larger groups because they think, oh, the bigger the group, the more dangerous it is. But uh, look, if done properly, uh, I don't think it's a problem. And, and there can be some great advantages, like you said. Uh, everyone goes off on their own spots. And when you come back at the end of the day, you all tell your stories, and then basically from your stories, you pretty much know where the animals are. So, for example, like you said last trip, we pretty much knew that the animals were in the north part of the forest, right? There was nothing down the south part of the forest because everyone that went hunting down south didn't see anything. But yeah. all the guys that went up north saw heaps of stuff. Exactly, yeah. So, so you could see basically straight away 
you could see where the animals were hanging around and where the what sort of climate the animals were preferring at the time and, and what vegetation they were eating. So so then after that, all of us went to the north part of the forest, or, or most of us anyway, and uh, and then we ended. One of the boys ended up getting a deer. So it was a fantastic trip. We had a great time. You know, it was it was safe. There was no problems. And there was lots of us, and, and you know, we, there was fantastic camaraderie. Is one of the best trips we've gone to, isn't that right, Jace? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mars. Anything else to finish off, mate? Any final thoughts? I guess final tips or tricks or anything that sort of comes to mind that you'd like to part on the listeners in this you know, extensive public land hunting podcast that I'm trying to put together. I'm, I'm hoping it actually helps people and people learn from. I wish I knew some of the things I knew now that I, I would have known five, you know, five, seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, look, one of the, I guess <laughs> I'll, give the, I'll give the viewers, I'll give the listeners uh, two last tips. Okay, first of all, don't uh, drive for three hours and realise that you left your swag at home like I did once. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, hang on, and his binoculars. What else did you leave at home on that trip? <laughs> oh, my God. I, mean, I left my head at home. I mean, if I would have left my head at home if it wasn't screwed oh, on. And that was, was I think... Shortcut. I think that was one of the coldest weekends we've ever been on, too. And Muzz is like, oh, I forgot my binos. And I go, oh, that's not that bad. You can deal with that. Then he's like, oh, I forgot my swag and my um, sleeping bag. It's all sitting in the garage next to the door. And I'm like, oh, no, you idiot. You're going to be freezing your balls off. (laughs) I know. It was a a shocker of a weekend. And also, when you do put your gazebo up, make sure you put those 10 pegs in the the, – in the base of the gazebo. Yeah. Well, otherwise your gazebo will end up like mine. It'll get blown into the fire overnight. (laughs) (laughs) I must admit on the last trip I had that, it was windy as all hell, and it started, even with four in there, it started to pull out a bit. So I had to go to Bunnings just on the weekend and pick up some longer ones, and I think at one stage I had like three tent pegs or big long ones in each um, corner. So it was like, you know, what's that, three, six, nine, twelve, (laughs) fifteen... <laughs> just to keep the bastard down. But uh, anyway, mate, good stuff. I mean, hopefully this uh, helps a lot of different people. We're interviewing a lot of different people, trying to yeah, just trying to help them, you know, become more successful, give them some tips and tricks. And it's not just about specifically about hunting animals. It's gear. It's you know bringing you cold weather gear. All the stuff I'm going to speak about and have spoken about on the show up until now. All the things yeah. you need. You know, your wet weather gear, good boots, and things like that. All different things that can help you, you know, become better and be prepared. There's nothing worse, isn't there, than being unprepared, forgetting things not having lists plenty of things you can do wrong that can really ruin your trip yeah that's right but anyway to finish up jason i'll like to uh end off with a funny story um so just to just goes to show you what happens on a hunting trip here we are uh i'm basically in the middle of nowhere um in the last hunting trip i'm miles away from a road or anything else and i found this spot and i'm just sitting quietly quietly and i've got my all my camo on uh, on as well as my blaze orange hat so you can, you can basically see me from a mile away, but I'm very quiet and I'm just sitting waiting for animals. So what I see on the cor- on corner of my eye, I see this hunter. He's coming up, he's coming, up, he's, he's walking, he's coming up, he's coming, up, and he ends up being literally ten meters away from me, right? And he doesn't even know I'm there because I'm just completely still and silent and just watching out for animals and not making any movements, even though I've got my blaze orange. He just <laughs> Is this me? he did it to me too guys he did it to me too one day i'm sitting there on my phone and he comes up to the anyway go on he did this to me too probably but this is not me i thought he was talking about me for a second (laughs) so anyway and i'm just whistling and this guy looks over he goes holy shit (laughs) (laughs) anyway i started talking to him and uh got to know him 
and it, apparently he knew who I was. <laughs> it's crazy, eh? I've even done that too. I'm on my phone walking, you know, just sitting on a vlog, and Muzz is about 15 metres to my left. And he goes, oh, and I go, oh, shit. And he goes, how could you not see me? And I said, I was just daydreaming looking at my phone for some guy. I didn't even have reception. I was just looking at old photos. I know, but what, I'm, what I wanted to illustrate is it just shows you the weird things that happen on a, on a hunting trip and how uh, just by being still and by being silent and waiting for your spot, uh, even not, not just the animals, but even the humans don't even know you're there. Uh, so it's <laughs> – and so I've done it a couple of times, and, and that one time I I met that guy at a hunting trip, so I've, I got his number and everything. He seemed like a really nice guy, and maybe we'll invite him to go hunting with us one day, Jason. Yeah, man. It's uh, we'll see what happens, but it's it's fun, isn't it? It's good, you know, get meeting people, learning new things, learning all new tips and tricks, and you know, just you wish. Yeah, like I said, I wish I'd known a lot of this stuff that I know now back then. It doesn't mean again I'm the most successful hunter in the world. We all make mistakes, and you just learn new things and you see their patterns. And you know, sitting or sitting, waiting, checking things out. Um, you but you'd be surprised what you see eh, over the space of two, three hours in the morning. Yeah, that's that's right, mate. And look, we've had some fantastic trips, and hopefully, we'll have many, many more in the future, buddy. Exactly, mate. All right, mate. Thanks for coming on to just have a chat with us about, you know, just have a chat about public land, trying to share some knowledge that we've got, at least we've gained over the last, say, what, geez, probably close to 10 years. Just, you know, we've been unsuccessful as well, and that's the hardest part. That's, I guess, that gives a little bit of credence to what we're saying because. You know, we've learnt the hard way. We've learnt the unsuccessful ways and, and things that work and sometimes do the scouting, being in the right place at the right time, uh, sitting and waiting sometimes, checking out what comes yeah. through an area. Uh, you'd be surprised, you know, something that you would have walked past, you might see 20 minutes later, pops its little head out and you go, oh, there's a deer. Oh, you would never have seen that if you didn't weren't waiting in good spots and trying to find out those areas. Exactly. All right, mate, thanks for coming on, bud. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll continue with the show. No worries, buddy. Take it easy and uh, see you, see you out there, everyone. Have a good have a good year hunting and uh, make sure that you always uh, prepare and uh, be ready for a trip. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. There, Mars were giving his uh, tips and tricks. Been out in the field and we had a few laughs as well. Um, going back again on some more gear, I want to talk about after that interview with Mars is making sure you got a good gambrel as well. Very very important when you go out in the field. You want to be able to hang deer up. Again, this is going to depend summer versus winter on how you prepare your meat. We're getting to the time of year now that this podcast is coming out in December. November is pretty hot. December is pretty hot. And there's not much room for error when it comes to you know, your meat getting ruined. So making sure you've got a good esky with ice or a good 12-volt fridge that's going to be able to get that meat cooled down as quickly as possible it's great obviously if you hunt in winter because you can actually just you know hang them up from a tree you might cover them cover them up a little bit with one of those drop cloths over the top to be able to you know keep the flies off or anything like that um sometimes when i'm in winter i generally sometimes keep the skin on first off uh i gut it keep the skin on and then just hang it overnight if i've shot it you know the afternoon before i'll hang it up overnight then i'll get up in the morning and then prepare it in the morning so make sure you've got esky with ice and try and get the meat cooled down before you actually put it in your esky because otherwise trust me i've been there i had my 12 volt fridge and it was running for like hard for 24 hours luckily i had solar because the meat was still warm and i was trying to cram it in there and cool it down so try and get it cooled down overnight before putting it into your esky or fridge otherwise it's going to suck the ice straight out of your esky and you're going to be in a little bit of all sorts and we talked about knives a little bit make sure your knife is sharp again very very important skinning and a boning knife i use a havalon which is a replaceable one uh, which I find fantastic. I have to, you know, 
sharpen when I'm out in the field because I've got a replaceable one and replacements ready to go on hand as well. Yeah, and just make sure that meat prep, make sure you do it properly, make sure you got out there, make sure you try and get it on ice straight away. Extremely important. And my last interview coming up is with Leif. He's uh, been hunting on public land as well. And like I said, hopefully you've learned a lot of tips and tricks for the people that have been uh, on this show, giving their interest, thoughts and opinions on their top tips on public land hunting. So our last interview with Leif, hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, we'll come right back after the interview. All right, I got Leif with me on the line. One of my buddies. I know he's hunted uh, quite a fair bit over the years in state forests. So, mate, welcome. Thanks for uh, accepting to come on and give you, you know, just a couple of top tips and tricks for you know people that not just want to get into you know state forest or public land hunting, but people that may be experienced that might from this show actually pick up a couple of techniques. So, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Jason. Um, thanks for having us on. Yeah, no. always, always good to have a chat about anything hunting related. Yeah, absolutely. What's your? Let's go into your top couple of tips. I mean, a lot of people on this show have said a lot of different things. Um, some have been the same. So, what's? Let's go probably to your to your number one. What do you think? Getting out there, you know, new forests, old forests, ones that you've been to. What's your sort of go to top tips? Well, I think one of the most important things, no, no matter where you are, it doesn't even matter, private, probably, public, doesn't matter, just hunting in general, is is try to be as quiet as possible. Um, I've had in the past, just basically when I was inexperienced many years ago, I'll be walking along and I could hear this strange sort of squeaking noise. It was actually quite loud. Um and it wasn't until I sort of looked into it a bit, my actual sling swivels were actually squeaking as I was walking. So that's, you know, it's little things like that now um, I'm aware of. So basically, you know, all I did with that was, you know, put a bit of grease on it and and put some tape over it and that quietened that down. Yeah. And um, also just the way you walk, you know, a lot of people probably walk way too fast for public land hunting. Like there's, there's a lot of pressure in some of these forests. So it really pays off to just take your time. Yeah, I know. And you know, get get the get the wind in your face and and take your time. And you know, if you're walking through like pine rows, for instance, just super slow, get down low. And if you can, just have a look down and see how far down you can look through them. Because sometimes you'll there'll be a deer feeding in a little clearing down there. But um, yeah, try to avoid like any of the dead overhanging branches that you might get snagged in. You know, that might crack and just little noises like that will set anything in the area off you know, stepping on a, a branch or something like that where you can avoid it. Like you can, if you see a branch on the floor, step in between the fork and the branches instead of treading on the stick. You know, that's a bit of noise that you're not going to make. So I don't I know how many quiet. times that's happened, hasn't it? I mean, I know you've happened to you on your trips and I know on one of the last trips we went on too. Um, <laughs> that's all I, I, I seem to be able to find every possible stick <laughs> that was lying on the ground i tried to avoid them and then sometimes like you're trying to avoid it you actually step on it i don't know how that even happens yeah it's pretty funny sometimes it's completely unavoidable like you know earlier this year you know just with how dry everything's been you're pretty much you're pretty much hard done by you've got no choice really yeah, you make noise but you know on the, on the on the flip side of that you know at the end of the day, you've you've done your hunt. You haven't seen anything, and you know you, you you're a bit upset. So you you storm back to the car, and you're making so much noise, you end up bumping something. But you know <laughs> that's happened. It's funny too. <laughs> you mentioned that too, because again, how many times? I mean, I've told you stories as well, and we've been on trips, and how many times you know I've actually bumped you know animals because you know, might say oh, I've walked into a ravine or something that's might take me a couple of hours, and then all of a sudden on the way back, I thought oh, I might get back you know a couple of hours at camp, grab some lunch. You know, maybe, you know, relax at camp, talk to the guys for a couple of hours, head back 
out for three hours in the afternoon, then all of a sudden, you know, I've bumped, you know, four or five fallow or, you know, a deer come up over my shoulder not realising it. It happens more than you care to, care to think about. Oh, yeah, some ridiculous things have happened with animals. They really have. <laughs> what about your second tip, man? What do you also think can people, you know, need and use and want to get into be able to state forest hunting and, and try and be successful? What I like to do um, pretty much, if, especially if it's one that I haven't been to before, a newish one, like I'll try and, and have a look on the maps, you know, see if there's a nice gully or creek lines that are reasonably close to fringes or if they feed into like a native section or, you know, with the pine corridor and then native stuff like that and then i'll um usually the first time i go there i'm not really too fussed about getting anything because i know you know i haven't been there before blah 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 i'll try i'll walk those areas and have a look and see what they look like in any sort of sort of damp areas like in the creek beds and that i'll look for prints and like if you find prints and then you know if they're they're defined you know they're reasonably fresh and that that's a good spot to start if it's a nice looking sort of area you can say all right we found some prints here it looks like there's a bit of traffic then you can Put in your mind, say, right, I can come back this afternoon, you know, around 3.30, 4 o'clock and just get a vantage point looking over it, you know, spend the rest of the afternoon just watching, just sit there, watch, see if anything comes out. You know, you might be unlucky, nothing might happen at all. A wombat might come out or something. But then the other thing is they say, well, I found a good spot. It looks all right. I'll come in the morning and do the thing in the morning time, you know, get there, you know, you know, if it's in sort of summery, sort of spring, summer weather, I'd like to get there before dark. And just Jim, just sit and wait, and and you never know. You might find that you found a little, you know, a little deer thoroughfare or something like that where the animals are travelling, and then yeah, you might you might have a shot. And usually in those instances, the animals aren't really rushed either because they're just going about doing their thing. So you usually get a, a good chance for for a good shot if they're around. Yeah, so basically I'll just look through those areas and sometimes they look, you know, you look on Google Earth and you go, wow, look at this place. This place is going to be insane. It's going to be awesome. And <laughs> you, when you get there, you know, it's not you, so much. You do, the, you, do the, you do the six-hour drive and you get there and you go, right, I'm checking this spot. This spot is going to be amazing. And you and you get there and it's like eight-foot-tall blackberries, just chockers, and you can't do anything. <laughs> and you go, oh, well. And then, you know, then you've got to look for your second spot that you picked. Yeah, a lot of people have talked about that, people that I've interviewed for this show, a lot about you know don't necessarily guarantee on google maps that it's going to be like it is based on the map it looks good it looks lush and it looks like a fantastic camp spot or a fantastic place that you know deer or pigs might pop out in or goats or whatever game you're trying to you know your quarry you're going for and then you go there and it's just an abomination you're like oh my god i've banked on the one spot either for hunting or for camping and it just hasn't worked out yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can't win sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to be persistent, so you just keep going to the next spot. You know, if it's, if you've got a good feel about the forest and you, you might you might see some stuff running off or, you know, for your travels during, you know, during your trip, then, you know, yep, rebook it. And that, that's like another one of the, the things you need to, you know, sort of concentrate on is you need to spend time in particular forests. You can't really just say, look, I'm going to go to this one forest, never been there before, and think you're going to be successful. Like you might, you might be, luckily, but a lot of the times you need to go there, you'll find an area of a particular forest might be good. You know, you say, all right, this is where they're hanging out. You know, they, they come from, um, you know, Uncle Joe's farm over there and, you know, jump the fence and they're mucking around in this bit of pine for the afternoon and then they wander off down there and, and you know, on your last six or seven trips there, you've noticed that the same behaviour. So, you know, yeah, that's good. So, and then you've got a plan, you know, you go, oh, this is all I'm going to do. I'm going to hang out here in the afternoons and hopefully something will pop out. 
Yeah. But yeah, p- persistence. You you got to be, keep being persistent. Be persistent. Be quiet. You know all all those good things. Yeah. And, when and are your- you seeing him too? I noticed a lot of people say that too. And it's probably happened to me. I probably saw more deer at night. But if I have, I have seen one or two in the morning on you know sunrise sort of thing just you know 10 to 15 minutes afterwards but i'm generally seeing him anywhere from about 8 a.m to about you know 10 anywhere up to about 10 30 that's when i've i've happened to shoot most of them whether that was on public or whether that was on you know private land most of the ones i do, do, do see generally late afternoon probably in the last you know 45 minutes of of light when, when are you sort of seeing him if you're sitting and waiting or you're moving around what are you generally seeing yeah Gen- generally, I think the afternoon. I think I think the afternoon always seems to have a bit more action. Like I remember one of the, on the one of the latest latest hunts that um I went on. You know, I just saw some rabbits and I go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a few rabbits. You know, take some rabbits home. So I'm I'm down there next to sort of a, a pretty big clearing. You know, the rabbits take a while for them to come out. One pops out, you you get one, and then the rest run and hide, and then you got to wait another 10, 15 minutes for the rest of them to pop out. And you know, you're there waiting for ages, and it was probably. The sun had set, and you know you still have that real twilight before it gets dark. Just, just sort of on darkness. Yeah, a couple of fallow popped out, um, but they, you know, they'll glass at two, two hundred and fifty meters away. Because you know, while I'm looking for rabbits, I'm just scanning the area, and I went, oh boy, I don't have much time here. So yeah, I try to try to run over to him, and yeah, he sort of um went behind like a mound of grass just so I lost him in the scope so he sort of went into the depression and then yeah I saw his head into the pines and I know oh, that's he's gone yeah you know it was almost dark and um yeah I sort of gave up and I sort of like started walking back and he and he popped back out by the but at that stage it was like pretty pretty dark and probably not not a good idea to shoot them so um yeah. exactly nothing like a good I keep saying to people good set you know, binoculars. I remember when I didn't first started hunting and didn't have the binoculars. You know, and you just you just don't have a leg up on them. I'm sure if you're hunting real thick stuff, you may not need it. You know, you may not think it necessary. But it's when you get onto some of those fringes, just scanning, looking, waiting, seeing. Um, you'd be surprised what you can see sitting in, say, a spot or at least in a, a quadrant area where you've seen deer in the past, and how to move slowly. Like you, you got to be onto them before they're onto you. Yeah, that's right. There's another like another good sort of section that i like to hunt if i can find the forest that's got it like some of them do you get a nice you know nice steep steep hills with a nice gully through it sometimes you know it's a bit open with blackbeards and but there's a there's a big enough shooting lane that you can see um you know up and down the gully and and to the left and right of it so you've got a big big field of view there and um oh i remember once i was on the other side just just sitting there just scanning this gully and i went oh yeah there's some rabbits down there but you know i'm after a deer today so i just let him be and you know, oh, look, there goes a fox and this and that. And, you know, I'm looking at the, the top of the ridge there and there's a little bit of grass, nothing, nothing, you know. Put the binos down for, what, I don't know, 30 seconds, you know, just just have a bit of a stretch or whatever and then get the binos out again. And, oh, where did that come from, you know? there's Now there's all of a sudden a deer over there. <laughs> that happens and, um, all the time. <laughs> and then I go, oh, look at it. It's it, this, this is hilarious, you know. I'm looking at it and going, oh, okay. Oh yeah, it's not in a rush. It's just eating the grass in the afternoon sun. No worries. It's sweet. I'll just um, I'll just crawl back up to the car, which you know wasn't that far actually, because I dropped off and and probably maybe went twenty meters down a sort of like steep embankment. So I've gone up there, got the camera, set it up. I go, yeah, I'll film this one. This one's got a bit cracker. And anyway, got the binos out again. Oh, yeah, 
as, as quick as it came, as as quick as it went, and yeah, it was gone. And I go, where, where did that go? And I'm looking everywhere. I go, it was just there, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, so <laughs> if you're after a deer and you get the opportunity for a deer, it's probably a good idea to squeeze the trigger and then, you know, maybe take some aftershots of it. Because, <laughs> yeah, sometimes they just disappear and vanish on you just for no reason. Yeah, I haven't asked anyone this, but let's just go, just because I've, you know, t- I've talked about it earlier uh, in the show. Um, you know, like what's your – Go-to caliber, especially for big animals, goats, deer, pigs. What are you shooting? What do you like? And then we'll finish up. Well, pretty much um, my go-to caliber is pretty much my go-to caliber for everything bar rabbits. So I use a 22 for rabbits and basically headshot as much as I can. Um, or if it's a you know funny, funny you know quartering angle, I'll try the shoulder, but try not to demolish them too much. But for the big animals, um, I've got a 7mm rem mag in – an old Seiko A7, so, you know, the rubberized stock and pretty much a glorified ticker. And <laughs> What bullet weight? Um, so in that, I'm running 150-grain Nosler ballistic tips, which, you know, some will say might be a bit light, but um, this thing, the shots that I go on the, the animals, I go, you know, a lot of people go for the, you know, they say shoot, shoot the front legs, you know, the shoulder, so, you know, you get them and they don't run away and all that sort of stuff, whatever. But um, I'll pretty much, like if it's a lot, most of my shots are long, so they'll be 200 metres plus most of the time. Or I think the closest one I've had in a forest was about 90 metres, which is just lucky, I guess. But so the gully, you know, across the gully shooting is usually 200-ish. Anyway, I, I go for the, try and hit the lungs. And every time I've shot any animal there, they just drop on the spot. Just they don't yeah. go anywhere. I've never, I've never had one run with this thing. And saying that, the projectile, yeah, it's moving pretty quick. Like because I'm running reloads on it, and I think they're just running over three thousand. I remember feet on the per second. seven mil weight. Like you probably simplistic tips, same as the Vmax. I was run, running the one twenty grain Vmax and the old seven mil weight. Man, that used to just punch through goats. You know, straight through, like, and that's a V Max. Yeah. You'd think that's supposed to, yeah, f- yeah, okay, goats are fairly soft skinned animal as well, but you, you know, and they're moving quite quickly out of the seven mil. But you, you, I expected a, a bit more of a punch out the other side, considering they were, but I mean, there was these were like 70, 80, 90 meters, and you're still running at probably 120 grain V Max out of that, probably high 2000s, maybe even 3000 feet a second on a 120. Yeah, these, um, the projectiles that I shoot with, like, you recover it after the butcher the animal, and, the, and they completely mushroom, like, to the base like so they're not half mushroom they're like pretty much just flattened but and i think that's probably why they drop so good because like you find a uh you know the main projectile and then there's fragments of it everywhere so it, they make a mess and they work and because yeah. they're light that they they actually shoot quite straight too so you, you can actually like um oh, a few years ago i shot a goat i think it was about 450 meters away and i'm thinking oh you know i probably won't hit it it's pretty far and I'm going, oh, you know, hold over for it like I did. And because they were running, like, actually, it's a really pretty hot load for that, for my um, rifle. Yeah, I just held over and bang, dropped it on the spot. I couldn't believe it. Just bang, down it went. Just first shot. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, so, sometimes it's it's actually pretty pretty reliable. So if you see something where you go, oh, it's in between two to 400 metres, you pretty much know. You don't even hold, need to hold over much on it. Like, you go, yeah, I'll shoot it there and bang, yeah, you get it. Mm. And I've already chatted about that earlier on, just about getting the, you know, making sure you've got the right, at least, you know, there's a lot of, 
conjecture about right calibre, but at the end of the day, dead's dead. Doesn't really matter what you use, provided you know you're proficient at shooting with it. So, any any final advice, mate, for any you know new little budding, you know even new public land hunters, you know people that have even been hunting public land for quite some time. Any other final advice you'd like to you know add before we finish up? Um, I've got a sort of a funny bit of a tip. It's it's unstuck me a few times, but it's. Uh, it's just how it is, I guess. Um, of course, I use a 7mm and it's a flat shooter. I zero it in at pretty much 200 metres. And so for state forest shooting, it's probably a bit overkill um, because a lot of your stuff's usually a lot closer range. And But I've had the opportunity, um, <laughs> if you can call it that, <laughs> whereas um, I was stalking some forest and I had not one, but three sets of deer, probably in a 100-metre stretch, jump out. 15 meters in front of me and clean missed every single one of them because I was zeroed for 200 and I reckon I was just shooting over their backs. And <laughs> yeah, so I'd probably say if you want to just maybe zero 100, 150 and then sort of practice. If you want to be good in state forest, practice. Like practice, go, all right, do some 50 meter shots and, and get to know your rifle and get to know your zero because in the forest, that that's what can happen. One can pop out in front of you, one can pop out. 100 metres away, or you could be shooting across a gully, you know, at a few hundred metres. Okay, so really a good tip is to know your gun and know how it shoots and be confident in, in your shooting. Yeah, perfect. All right, Leigh, thanks for joining me, mate, to impart some knowledge for, you know, new intermediate, I mean, even experienced. I mean, surely people listening to a lot of these interviews that I'm doing can, you know, always learn something from someone else or gain some tips and tricks. And uh, so thanks for uh, imparting your knowledge on this podcast, dude. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, no worries, Jason. Thanks a lot for having me on. And um, yeah, like always, the more you listen, the more you're going to learn, isn't it? You'll, you'll pick up bits here and there and, and overall makes you a better hunter. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit o usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Well, excellent, guys. Uh, what a great interview there of Leif talking about his experience on hunting on public land. Wow, so this is, podcast is probably going to go for quite some time, and I hope you guys have learned from all the people that have come on the show uh, just some tips, tricks on getting you out there, being in the field, to become more successful. Like I said a little bit earlier, if there's things you can learn from this, fantastic. Uh, if you already know it, that's fantastic too. If you've learned a couple of little new things, um, you know, you, you feel free to use them out when hunting in the field. If there's a bit of information you liked and you want to use that, and then we'll use that. If there's a little bit you want to chuck out and not use, well, then don't use that too. Uh, I think it's going to make you guys a lot better hunters into the future. Again, if I had to probably say just a couple of things before we finish off is always stay safe in the field look after your friends look after people that you hunt with look after each other if someone doesn't return when they say they're going to return you know start looking around start trying to get help or start going to certain areas where they might have been to get in contact with them via radios or whatever to make sure they get back to camp get back to their family very very important if i had to give one last piece of advice is don't give up 
persistence, persistence, persistence and determination. Get out there and make it happen. You know, it may not happen overnight. And for me, it didn't happen for five years, for an example, especially if you're hunting some of those larger game. Be persistent. Be determined. You know, it will happen for you. I don't know how many times I invited someone on a trip and they maybe maybe they got something and it was their first trip, right? Or the, Or whatever it may have been. And I'm sitting there going like, my life just sucks because I didn't get something when they came on, say, a first trip for an example. So, you know, don't let other people's successes be your downfall. You know, concentrate on your success, concentrate on learning and being out there in the field. You can't sit at home shooting deer, as I've said previously on this show. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed everyone that presented themselves on the show and gave up their time. So thanks to Daz, thanks to Arthur, Josh, Steve, Mars and Leif uh, for giving their opinions just that they think will be able to make you a better hunter out in the field. Average people that have just been successful in the field and ultimately that's what you guys want to see because they're exactly like me and they're exactly like you. I hope you enjoyed this show. So without further ado, I'm Jason Selms. I shall catch you on the next one. It's been great. Thanks a lot. Hope you learned something. See you again soon. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.